Dylan, you son of a bitch! And and actually, I I only ever had this problem with you. I'm an interesting character. I I I, I bring my own troubles. Did you have this taped on a VHS with King Kong Lives? Doug had auditioned for a role in King Kong Lives, actually. No way! Stick with what you're doing, though. <laughs> oh, then this will be more interesting for me than for you. What is this fucking time? Jason is an elite fisherman. Um, hey, this is Max and Jason watching movie. I'm Max. And I'm Jason, and today we will be watching and discussing Predator from 1987, directed by John McTiernan, starring Arnold Schwarzenegger, Carl Weathers, Elpidia Creo, Bill Duke, Richard Chavez, Jesse Ventura, Sonny Landon, Shane Black, R.G. Armstrong, and as the Predator, Kevin Peter Hall. Excellent. Now, do you know who was supposed to be the Predator? Uh, I, think I, well, I think I did. At one time. At one time. But that, that knowledge seems to have vanished from it you. Is, if, when you say it, I will... Jean-Claude Van Damme. Yeah, I, yeah I, I, I did stumble across that. I was shocked as hell about that. I was too. He was let go really early because he whined a lot. He whined about the suit. Nobody's going to see me in the, in the suit, the Predator suit. Um, I would assume that he also wasn't tall enough or big enough. He, he, was not, he was not very tall. This is an interesting film. This is a Joel Silver production. Joel Silver was a name I learned to look for or at least learned to react to with some confidence that I was about to watch a decent action movie. Um, Absolutely. He was a prolific producer of action films and kind of revolutionized the action film of the 80s. If you look at his, uh, he's worked with Arnold Schwarzenegger a while, but if you looked at his CV, I mean, he is he is uh, attached to almost a, well, a significant proportion of the, a significant portion of all of the good action films of the 80s. He produced Commando. He produced, uh, he would later go on to produce the Matrix movies. He's attached to a lot of great action films. Do you know anything? Uh, what, what did you think when you saw Joel Silver's name. I, I, I shared your confidence because he also um, uh, produced the Lethal Weapon movies, and I knew that, but also the Die Hard movie. Yes, yes. So, I mean, he actually, for that period, as a producer, he was kind of the name in action. And, and I guess, unlike a lot of producers who delegate a lot of responsibility, he was a very hands-on producer. He was always important in, in wrangling money. He was an ideas guy in script doctoring. Right. And so he, he was, you just said, three key franchises of the 80s. Right. Now, he found this script for Predator, I guess, and it originally by Jim Thompson and John Thompson. And that's the final script. They get the final. Uh, yeah. But but there was a script floating around where it was like 12 aliens that were going to come to Earth and, and hunt people. But they thought that would be a little much. So they, they, they pared it down to one. And originally in the script, it was supposed to be Arnold, just Arnold and this Predator having a battle through the jungle, right? But right. Arnold found that script actually unrealistic. You know, oh. This is strange because this is also the guy who starred in Commando. Yeah, yeah. But he thought, he's like, no, I, I need to have a team of people around me. And everybody thought that was a great idea. New script was written. So they, 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 they kind of settled on this idea. One Predator, a team of Special Forces guys against this alien, right? Right. Nobody was satisfied with that initial script, which this comes back to Joel Silver. This will bring us back to Joel Silver, who knew a script writer who he thought 
could fix it. And who do you think that scriptwriter was? I don't know. You mentioned I, one the, you mentioned one of the franchises that uh, that he he was involved in intensely. Got to be Lethal Weapon or Die Hard. It's Lethal Weapon. Shane Black. Who appears? Wait, who appears in the film? This was in part a trick and in part a, a, a nice gesture to Shane by Joel Silver. Joel wanted him to rewrite the script, and Shane said, "I don't want to rewrite the script." As it happened, they were all going to Mexico to run all of the actors through a, a basic training, right? Yeah. And they said, "Hey, you know, you've done a lot of great things for me. You did, you did, uh, you did Lethal Weapon. Why don't you come down to Mexico? We're going to be there for eight weeks before the movie starts. You can come out. You'll be, you'll get a role in the movie." And he said, "Oh, that sounds great." Shane Black did, and he goes down, and in one of those days, Silver catches him in his hotel room. Hey, take a look at the script. And Shane Black is like, and so then I was locked in a room basically to rewrite the script. <laughs> He kind of downplays his his rewrite. Yeah, I think I think more out of uh, just kindness to the to the writers who were also on set every day. But he said, you know, basically, you know, I rewrote the script, but they used most of what the original Jim Thomas and John Thomas had had done. So he doesn't he doesn't pat himself on the back too much, but he does kind of joke about how he got caught in Mexico and forced to write <laughs> rewrite his, well, rewrite the script. So just listening to your description, and I didn't know any of that, mm-hmm. but just but just listening to your description, I would assume that a lot of the dialogue between the team members was him. I think it I think I think he's downplaying his his involvement in the in the re- rewrite too much because I think you're right because the dialogue is very reminiscent of Lethal Weapon. It's very naturalistic, it's very Donner-esque. It's very polished. Shane Black came in and, and I think handled the dialogue and cleaned it up. Uh and Shane is a great while he was down there he was working on his script for The Last Boy Scout, which is another Bruce Willis okay, yeah, yeah. uh film that was that was also quite popular. So then you've got so so now you've got a big problem right? Arnold Schwarzenegger wants a team of people around him. So now you have to populate a movie with actors who can choose scenery with Arnold Schwarzenegger, right? Yeah. I, I, are, are you on the fence? Was the movie successful in, in, in that? In terms of casting? In terms of casting. They nailed it. I agree. I agree. They do a couple of neat things here. One, they give they give us a bunch of different body types and a bunch of different kinds of physiques. Almost everybody is super fit, right? But, but everybody's a great character actor. Um, this sort of reminds me of John Sturgis's the Magnificent Seven. Yeah, that's that's a good comparison. For one, you have a cast full of personalities. I mean, real problematic personalities, right? They're they're all alpha. They're all to give you a hint of what was going on behind the camera. Carl Weathers would only go in the gym when nobody else was in there. He'd go in at like four in the morning because he was all kind right. of trying to play up that his physique was just natural. Right, right. So you got to pretend that this is all natural. I didn't want anybody to ever see me working out, right? There were a lot of mind games going on. Arnold Schwarzenegger was playing people like he did back on the Olympia stage. When Jesse Ventura was in his dressing room getting fitted for his costume, he saw like Arnold Schwarzenegger's measurements yeah. on his, uh, he, he saw that Arnold Schwarzenegger's arms, his, his bicep measurement was an inch smaller than Jesse Ventura's. And he was like, oh, I got an idea. And so I was watching this behind the scenes making of documentary. And it's, it's really funny because Jesse Ventura is talking about how excited he is that his arms are bigger than Arnold's. And then it cuts to Arnold. And he was like, so my plan basically worked. Arnold, if you guys don't know this, Arnold Schwarzenegger won a lot of a, uh, of a competition called Mr. Olympia. And one of the ways in which he did this was by playing mind games with everybody that he competed with. In one competition, he basically had Lou Ferrigno convinced that he had already lost. So when, right. but by the time Lou Ferrigno gets up on stage, he's kind of deflated and dejected and he's not very enthusiastic in his presentation, right? But Arnold Schwarzenegger was, uh, was really, really into the mental game. But he'd set it up that Ventura would see this measurement, which he told, <laughs> which he told costuming to make an inch more... 
make it in shorter than it really was. Right. And so he and Jesse are working out, which everybody did religiously on the on the set, I guess, in uh, Puerto Vallarta is the is the place where the film was filmed. And Jesse was like, I, I bet my arm's bigger than yours, Arnold. I was like, Oh, really? Arnold says back. And Jesse throws his arm up, and he's like, Look at that! And uh, Arnold, and they're measuring him, and Arnold puts his arm up uh, to be measured, and his arm is an inch or two bigger than Jesse Ventura's. And they had bet a bottle of like really expensive champagne on it. <laughs> and then the documentary is like, Yeah, so Jesse had to buy me a bottle of champagne, and and everybody, and he's like, You know, my mind games work on everybody, is what he says in the documentary. But you probably didn't say it like that, though. No, he said it exactly like that. <laughs> okay. Because I mean, that was his big thing. I mean, he loved to get in people's heads. He knew how to needle people. I don't know if it's moral, but he won a lot of competitions. All right. Uh, another trivia note, the Sonny Landham, the guy who plays Billy, they had to hire a bodyguard for him on set, not because they were worried about anybody roughing him up, but because he was a notorious troublemaker on set. And so okay. the bodyguard was basically a, a Sonny Landham wrangler. Okay. But uh, I don't think on this set there would have been too much of a problem because you have Carl Weathers, you have Jesse the Body, Body Ventura, a professional wrestler. We all know that's fake, but Jesse was a Navy SEAL. Yeah. Arnold Schwarzenegger had has been known to rough people up who get out of line in his presence before. So the set is full of tough guys. It just I just, I just think it would have, would have been a really interesting place to be. Uh, I don't know. I'm, I'm dominating the conversation here. Anything you want to say about this? Anything you've read? It is interesting that this film actually contains the presence of two future state governors. Almost, <laughs> that three, was... almost three. Sonny Landham ran for governor in Kansas. Really? He did. He, he didn't. He didn't oh. succeed. It, it's hard to know why exactly. Uh, but uh, none of us are experts on Kansas politics. None of us. None of us. But the other thing that the film does. So we talk about like these 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 personalities who physically hold up to Arnold. They stand out with Arnold, you know, uh, and among each other. And another way in which they were they designed the characters was everybody was in costuming. Everybody was different. Everybody looked a little different. They're all they're all wearing like Vietnam era military gear, but it's all different. Arnold doesn't look like Dylan, played by Carl Weathers. Jesse Ventura looks like a guy who stumbled out of the Aussie military, right? Yeah. Mac, uh, Jesse Ventura's friend, he looks different. He's in like uh, olive drab overalls, I think. You know, right. they all have different guns, so it's very easy for the audience to pick out who's who. Yeah. And and I think that that's and I think that that's really helpful in character in developing characters that we all that we can connect with as the viewer. This film does a great job at character development. One of the things that I noticed, uh, I watched it today for the third time through in just in just less than a week. And one of the things that actually stuck out to me this time, which I didn't notice the first two times that I watched it this week, was when the film opens and the helicopter lands on the beach and the, and they fling the door open and we have this shot of kind of the team. Everybody except Arnold is kind of is kind of in the frame and they're all in civilian garb. You know, yeah, they're all in golf shirts and jeans, but looking deadly serious and you know ready to find out what's going on. Yes, the movie does a great job in the ways that you're talking about in terms of the different weapons they have, their physicality, just kind of visually how we can tell, you know, how they're different from each other. Hawkins, played by Shane Black, has big, like, Coke bottle glasses. Yeah. They get steamed up in the jungle and this kind of thing. I, I, I really love how the movie did that and how the movie was willing to spend the time to kind of introduce us to this team of commando. Well, I think that design, if, if I had to say anything about the film that would kind of hint at why it is what it is, I would say it again and again, design, design, design. From location selection to costuming to casting, the filmmakers took the time to lay the groundwork for what I think, and, I, and I'll be kind of hinting at my uh, 
verdict here a little bit. In creating, they, they took the time to lay the groundwork for what would be a successful movie. Yeah. So what's the plot of the film, Jason? The basic plot of the film, which kind of in watching it and reflecting on it, if one if one were to watch the film without any spoilers, without, without any kind of just basic understanding of what the Predator is and all of that mythology, if one came into this movie cold, one might be confused by the opening scene for about 40 minutes or so. Yeah. Because the film begins with an alien spacecraft coming out of out of space and coming towards Earth, which, by the way, I've watched it enough now this week to suggest that the opening shot was borrowed by George Lucas for the beginning of The Phantom Menace. Oh. Yes or no? Am I, I right? It might have been. But yeah. I was thinking that a lot of the opening shot, I, I, I'm going to say that you're right. I'm going to for the sake of argument, because I haven't watched Phantom Menace for a while, but I think, folks, Jason knows his Star Wars. I don't know if he's quite the Star Wars authority that I am. We may have to have that contest someday. Right. But I noticed like hints of John Carpenter's Alien. I mean, the thing, I noticed Alien. I noticed Aliens in that opening credits. This is very much a film. It's it's not quite a pastiche of things we've seen before, but it, but it is certainly taking elements of films that we've seen before and tweaking them in new ways, I think, for 1987. Go ahead. Sorry. I, I, maybe I've gone no, off track. No, no, no. I mean, you're quite right. I know where you're going with that. So there's two important shots to talk about in the opening the opening scene. We First, we see the stars, and, and the stars all kind of blend together. And then this craft kind of appears out of the stars and comes into the frame of, of the camera and kind of flies past us. Yes. That's the shot that I would say is from The Phantom Menace. Okay. Then we see the ship going towards Earth, which is at the, I believe, the top of the frame. Yeah. And we see something come out of the ship and head Earthward. And I think that's what you're talking about in terms of being more kind of alien-like or, yeah, right? Yeah. But but, but and, not only that, but like there's a couple of musical cues, the font that says Predator in the field of space. Yes. All of that reminded me of Aliens, James Cameron's great yeah. film. No, yeah, I would agree with that, which was only a year earlier. There will be a savior from the production of Aliens that comes in and rescues this movie. And I'll I'll tell that story later, but, okay. but yeah, it's important. It's an important connection. Anyway, go on. Yeah, so, I mean, we see something come to Earth and then that's that's the end of it. That's the end of it. That's the, I mean, for a while, that's the only reference that there's an alien spacecraft came by Earth, something was ejected or or delivered to Earth, and then we immediately cut to the military story. Yes, yes. So from there, it is a standard kind of 1987 action film, but the establishing shots are crucial, and a lot of stuff that happens in this scene is crucial for establishing a, I think the key relationship in the film. Yeah. I think the opening scene is glorious. Jason's already alluded to it. When the team arrives in, I'm going to guess it's like on the edge of Col uh, Colombia. Yeah, uh, um, I've read Central America Central was what they were going for. Not Mexico. No, no, no. But, but those Central American countries, south of Mexico, north of the South American continent proper. Yeah. Yes, yes. We don't know what they're there for yet, but but they fly in on a Huey uh, helicopter. And every one of them, even here, has personality. They're all dressed a little different. Yes. And uh, it's really cool. They look like they look like a, an elite military unit. Now, I've over the years, I've kind of tweaked my interpretation of this team. 
I don't think so. This is this is what I have to do to make the film work without me asking a lot of questions. I think they're contractors. It, what I'm what I what I've decided they are is contractors. They're not really part of the military anymore. They're people hired by the military because there's a key scene that is coming up where where Arnold bucks a little bit at having a, an attached person to his team. Yes, and he, he he sort of behaves. Arnold behaves like he can pick and choose his missions, which in the military you couldn't do. You couldn't do yeah. so. So for me, I think that they just call him Major because that was probably what he what he what he was when he routed out of the military. And now he leads six guys. Uh, he's a, I think he's a contractor. Yeah. You know, I mean, yeah, that's yeah, what yeah. I want him to be to make the the film not be stupid in this regard. Well, to be more realistic. So, so what you're alluding to did not bother me, but yeah. until you until you just brought it up just now, and you're absolutely right because it is very clear that uh, Dutch it, it has an amazing ability to decide what his team's going to do, when they're going to risk their necks, and what they're going to risk it for. Yeah. Because his friend Dylan, yes, uh, played by Carl Weathers, uh, in their first conversation, he asks him why you know why he didn't take the Libya job. Yeah. yeah. Um, and um, uh, Dutch again played by Schwarzenegger, uh, replies that they're a rescue team. They don't engage in assassination. Oh, come on, forget about my time. I heard about that little job you pulled off in Berlin. Very nice, Dutch. Good old days. Yeah, like the good old days. Then how come you passed on Libya, huh? Oh, that wasn't my style. You got no style, Dutch. You know that. Come on. Why'd you pass? We a rescue team, not assassins. So we're a rescue team. Now, if he's in the military, if he's within a real chain of command and he's a, a special ops guy, he doesn't get to say that to anybody. They say, today you're assassins, and that's what he would have to go do. So I think that he's out of that that chain of command. He's, he's a contractor, which they don't explain very well. This is a great scene. Uh, Dutch is Dutch and his team have been brought in because some diplomats have been shot down in Central America somewhere, right? right? And uh, Dutch has been brought in to save the guy. And this is where, uh, what's his name? What's his name? A great character actor, Archie Armstrong, plays a general, General Phillips. Yep. And and he's like, uh, this is where they're at, Dutch. And and Dutch, Dutch's Dutch's antennae are already up because he says, Do these does this cabinet minister always travel on the wrong side of the border? There must have been something wrong with their radar, right? And um, uh, do you notice that General Phillips um winks at some point? He, I think he does, yeah. I can't remember. Yeah. Um, and so then Arnold is like, uh, why didn't you call the regular army in on this? Because some damn fool accused you of being the best, says yeah. Dylan from somewhere off in the distance, uh, I, in, in the in the cabin. And uh, Arnold turns around with the with the great mean Arnold look like, okay, I'm about to have to kick someone's ass now. But then he sees us Dylan. And then we get one of the most iconic scenes in 80s action films ever. It is now the backbone of a b billion memes. Yeah. And that one, and, and that scene, is when Dylan, when I'm sorry, when when Dutch, played by Arnold Schwarzenegger, sees his old friend. He says, "Jason, Dylan, <laughs> you son of a bitch!" And they and they they do the big bro high five, and then they have like a mini arm wrestling match. And then we get the classic line: "What's wrong? The CIA got you pushing too many pencils." And but anyway, it's it's a great little moment. <laughs> I've I've crippled Jason with his silent laughter here. Whew.
But it's a great little scene, isn't it? Oh, it, it's oh, it's fantastic. And by the way, this might be a good time to just kind of introduce this. The cinematography in this movie is amazing. Uh, the, the 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 colors are very crisp, and you notice it when um, General Phillips is is talking about the mission. Dutch is is puffing on his cigar and looking down. You know, we get some nice close-ups here. I almost felt like I was there because even e- even at this moment, of course, uh, they're in South America. The temperature is very hot. You can see the sweat on all of them even now. I will say now that the cinematography and shot composition of this movie is endlessly inventive. I agree. And I think that this film was almost forced to be great by the conditions. That that isn't necessarily here, but this scene is constructed very well. John McTiernan, uh, in the in the documentary I saw about the making of Predator, when he was handed this script, he was like, oh my God, I, I, I get to make a popcorn movie, which I've always wanted to make. He would then go on to make a career of popcorn movies. Right. So luckily he liked liked making them. You're right, right. Um, but uh, John McTiernan, for those of you who don't know it, he also directed Die Hard 1, Die Hard 3. I think he yeah. directed The Hunt for Red October. He did. Uh, he directed The Last Action Hero, which I am a defender of. Fuck yourself if you don't like it. If I'm not mistaken, he also directed uh, the first in a series of films that's still going on, Mission Impossible. Oh, I think you're I right. believe so. I think so. We'll, we'll double check that, but that may be corrected in the course of this episode. Sidebar, Lord Movies will be mightily disappointed to hear that Jason mistakenly attributed the direction of Mission Impossible to John McTiernan, when in fact it was the famous thriller director, Brian De Palma. So into the sidebar, but not the judgment and castigation that Lord Movies will definitely heap upon Jason. Uh, yeah, I'll, I'll say uh, McTiernan solves the riddles that the location and budget forced on him. Here, it is it is lean filmmaking. It establishes like an old friendship between Dutch and Dylan, right? It establishes also right away some tension between Arnold and the general and Dylan, right? Because Arnold's a little, his, as I mentioned earlier, his antennae are up. Why was this helicopter on the wrong side of the border? The the general says, well, you know, they're, they're carrying sensitive information. We need to get you in there right away. Carl says, uh, sorry, Dylan, played by Carl Weathers, informs Dutch, look, this is a short mission. We're going to be in, out, day at the most. We're going to go in, rescue our hostages, and come back out. Right. And and right away, Arnold is a little miffed here. Dutch is a little miffed. My team always works alone, General. The General's like, I'm sorry, we all have our orders. When you get to the site, Dylan's going to take over command of the operation. And Arnold doesn't like this at all. Which is interesting because this is an old friend of his. Who's been with the CIA for years now after they, after they, they parted ways. And then we cut. What's this fucking die? What's with this fucking die business? Those two, their chemistry is perfect. Carl Weathers, Arnold Schwarzenegger. Since this movie came out, I have been kicking in my mind the mental image of film studios. Since this film, why were these two not in more movies together? I would agree with that. I would also say Carl Weathers, very underused. Well, this film made me realize what a great actor he is. And that some people are going to be a little shocked by this. I'm not. He is amazing in this film. And the cast, I don't know what it was, the cast generally, the chemistry of all of them. I mean, even Jesse Ventura is decent in this movie. I think he's great. <laughs> he is, he is. He's a terrible actor in every other thing I've ever seen him in. Yeah. But he does well here. There was something about this cast and crew and this location, this script. Everybody seems to be firing on all cylinders and really, really working well together. But I, yeah. I mean, I'll say this right now. I think this is some of Arnold Schwarzenegger's best acting. I, I agree with you. He, his presence in this 
this movie is is solid throughout. Yes, uh, and that's something that um, that I was very conscious of every time I watched it. I was um, I felt he commanded every scene that he was in, and I liked him in every scene that he was in. And this is where I mean, this is going to come up at some point. People like to make fun of Arnold Schwarzenegger as an actor, and that's not right. And I think that the reason people make fun of him or question his acting ability is because of his accent. Yes, yes. I I don't think that that's fair. You have to look beyond your own delivery of the English language, and you need to to actually see if if this actor or this character is actually emoting correctly or commanding a scene. And Arnold Schwarzenegger even in subtle moments, is really, really good in this movie. He's able to express his relationship with all the different characters throughout the film and really command the, he really commands the screen very effectively. Well, this is true, but not only that, Arnold Schwarzenegger, in this film, and this is one of the few films, I, I think, where we get to see Arnold go, kind of navigate an arc of different emotions throughout the film. Yes. How many films have you seen a character Arnold play be scared in? Not many. Not many. He 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 displays fear in this movie. Yes, he does. He acts in every scene, and in fact, all of the actors do. There's a scene that happens a little later on where he and uh, the soldiers are moving through the jungle. One of the soldiers, uh, Chavez, they're all a little antsy on this mission. Chavez says uh, says something about, "Man, this is this is not this this mission's got me on the edge." That's not the right line, but uh, do you remember Afghanistan? And and Arnold is like Dutch is like kind of gives gives Chavez a smile. And he says, "Trying to forget it." All right, now come on, and he he smiles at the guy and when the guy leaves the scene he immediately goes back into soldier mode and he's looking around the jungle and he's attentive he's acting in the moment like a soldier but for a moment he had to be leader right and and uh and relate to his yeah and and he does that really well and throughout the movie throughout the movie but that's just one small moment in a film full of those small moments which is what makes the film i think so solid but anyway they get their orders and then we cut to uh, a great scene the helicopter scene where we get some more character development as they're flying to the place where they will be deployed. Uh, Anything you want to say about this scene? Uh, Except that it's beautifully photographed. I mean, as everything else is. I will say one of the really interesting and kind of awesome things about Predator is that even if the alien Predator had never shown up, this is a really great military commando movie. It is. And uh, like we talked about the character development, but actually the feel of this film, uh, the way all the different moments feel i mean i mean we're about to talk about them kind of rappelling down into the forest but even in the helicopter when they're on their way and they're listening to uh long tall sally by little richard we see their interaction with each other and and there's a lot of tension there's some jokes yep. and some of them uh, intentionally don't land yes, and yes. Um, this is so well done yes that anybody watching this movie wouldn't care if the predator never showed up yes yes this is the way you would want a, a militaristic commando film to be it's how you would want the story to be told it's how you would want it to be shot it's how you would want the dialogue to be this is all just extraordinarily well done absolutely so so in the in the helicopter we get uh, they're all under red light they're listening to long tall sally now i have a confession to make audience for years since 1987 up until this week i watched this movie listened to the song that little richard sing sang in the film and i thought he said things that he did not say so i was watching this uh in bed my wife's asleep next to me and so i have to have the subtitles on i've got the headphones on too but i have the subtitles on just in case i miss anything for years i thought little richard said long tall sally she's built sweet she's got everything just like the chinese which i thought was a weird line but i thought it was kind of interesting for years i thought that's what he said 
in the subtitles. It's everything a, Uncle John needs. Everything Uncle John needs. And I was, I have to confess, a little disappointed in Little Richard at that point. But anyway, sometimes the songs don't say what you think they say, listeners. But we get some character development. Billy, played by Sonny Landon, is a Native American. Very stoic, very stereotypical. Uh, he, he has a little friend named Hawkins. Hawkins is always trying to get him to laugh with these really bawdy jokes, which I won't pr- repeat here because my daughter might listen to this this thing. And I mean, she's seen the movie a hundred times, but I can't say the jokes knowing that she's going to listen to me say them. When did you, when did your son see this film, Jason? Last week. How old is your son? 13. Okay. Jason is a vastly better parent than I am. My daughter saw this movie a lot sooner than 13. <laughs> but in my defense, uh, is my sister's favorite movie since she was the age of six. Send your hate mail to my father. But the <laughs> body awful jokes and they're not very funny. But we get like all these great actors chewing through scenery and we get like a lot of great moments between Arnold Schwarzenegger and Carl Weathers, don't we, in these scenes? Oh, absolutely. And Carl Weathers is trying to insinuate himself into this team that he doesn't have a part of, really. Yeah. He's showing, uh, he shows this lighter uh, to, to one of uh, the commandos in the in the helicopter and he's like, uh, I got, Dutch and I were north of Hue in 67. Now, I, I recommended everybody after this podcast, obviously, and after you've sent fan mail to us, look up the Battle of Hue. Dutch, this scene indicates, and I didn't know it until this year, really. This scene indicates that Dutch and, and Dylan have been in some shit. Yeah. Hue was a turning point in the Vietnam War, not so much for the American war effort, but for the American public back home, because it's right. after the Battle of Hue that, uh, I think it was Wallace, Mike Wallace, says on live TV. No, no, no. Um, um, Lois Lane? Yeah, it, it must have been Lois Lane. No, Walter Cronkite. Walter Cronkite basically says nothing is going like the generals are telling us. It's Now the war is unwinnable. There it is. That came as a big shock to uh, America. But a lot of that, a lot of his position on that was because of the Battle of of Hue. But I thought this was a great character moment that probably only our parents noticed when they saw that. Yeah. They learned that they're not going to have backup on this mission. Once they're on the, once they go over the border, they're on their own. More grist for the anxiety mill of this team. And there's a great little moment where that kind of really kicks off the opening chapter of the, of the film, which I call the, in my head, I've been calling the G.I. Joe chapter. I think there are three chapters in the film. Yes. There are no visual chapters in the film. It's jungle visually throughout. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But the the, the three chapters of the film are G.I. Joe chapter, horror chapter, sci-fi chapter. Do you think that's yeah. fair? And there's a little I spurs- think so. there's a little there's a little spursing of the sci-fi, there's a little sprinkling of the sci-fi chapter throughout, but the, the sci-fi theme throughout. But it really kicks off in the in in this the second and third chapter, but they don't they don't know what they're facing in the in the second chapter. The the, the you're you're quite right. Uh the uh, the first part of the film, and actually coincidentally, news has come out that there's going to be a, a G.I. Joe television show, but uh, that was just announced this week uh, as, we're, as we watch this in our recordings. But when I watched this movie, there were there were many parts of this film where I actually thought, okay, this would be a great episode for a G.I. Joe television show that, that just wanted to tell a small commando story. Yes. There was a comic in the uh, 80s uh, that was um, separate from the main G.I. Joe title called G.I. Joe Special Missions, yes. in which there were very serious military stories that were told that included the G.I. Joe characters. Sometimes they would fight Cobra, sometimes they wouldn't. This movie does a grand job of demonstrating what a really terrific, serious G.I. Joe television episode or even movie would look 
like if it was done in a very realistic, well-written way. Yes, I, no, I agree. I've said for years in my head that if anybody wanted to see how to make a great G.I. Joe movie, watch the first act of Predator. Yes. And what I think happened with the G.I. Joe films is that the directors and writers, uh, the films that came out, watched this act and then threw all of their notes in the trash and then made the garbage that they ended up making. This is a very fun, very 80s military movie in the first act. Yeah. Um, and, and, the, and there's another character in this movie in addition to the commandos and the Predator, and that is this jungle that they move through. Yes. And this is one of the other riddles that John McTiernan had to solve. John McTiernan, a cinematographer, had to solve is how do you make these shots interesting? Because there's no horizon in a jungle. Right. And one of the ways in which they did that was they, they would have people move through the shots in complex ways, and they would mm -hmm. use like focus sometimes. They would focus on a near character, a, ca a character near to the frame, and then uh, that character would maybe be delivering dialogue. And then when the second character in the scene would be delivering dialogue, they would focus in on that that character and they would create depth in a lot of interesting ways because, you know, four or five feet and you've got a, and, and you have no horizon. The only horizon, there are only a couple of big horizon shots in the film. And one of them is when our heroes, just as they're entering the second act of the film, enter into a valley and we get kind of an open area where, the, where they can kind of see them go into the valley. And then there's maybe a shot when, in a series of waterfalls that we'll see. But even that's not, not a big, wide, you know, big sky shot. But right. the other thing, the other riddle that they had to solve uh, was the fact that it's all hills. Like there was no, there was no level ground. And and somehow McTiernan had to to solve these problems. He was a little disappointed in Puerto Vallarta, uh, Vallarta as well, because really? he didn't really understand jungles before he got to one. Okay. And he thought, so a jungle uh, is, is full of deciduous trees and they're always kind of losing leaves and growing new ones. So there were a lot of brown leaves on the ground that he thought made it look like not a real jungle. But of course he's in yeah. a real jungle. I mean, he had to do, he had to do what he had to do in this film, but he was worried that it didn't look like a jungle enough. He was wrong about that. Roger Ebert and Gene Siskel reviewed this movie in 87. And I remember being a little shocked because they loved it. Yeah. And I hadn't gotten used to them having non-elite style opinions about movies, you know? But right. but they talk about how this jungle really felt so real to them. And, and it was because they shot in a real jungle. Yeah, and uh, and actually, you know, you talk about it having a lot of hills to it. Yeah. But actually, that's what I liked about it. Yes. Um, um, the landscape felt very real. It, it felt like a landscape that you would kind of want to visit. Oh, yeah. And, and 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 kind of you know trundle through, or if you were a kid, you know that it would be a great place to play out an adventure. And so in this film, we get to see an adventure played out for us. Yeah. And the landscape, I think, is perfect. I oh, I love all of it. Yeah, absolutely. But but it's interesting how having to solve these riddles uh, and how to create complex shots within this really kind of claustrophobic filming within these really kind of claustrophobic filming conditions created a kind of brilliance in the cinematography and and shot composition. Yes. So anyway, 
our guys land in the jungle. But just before they go into the jungle, Dutch, uh, Dylan says to Dutch, I, ne- he said, I never knew how much I missed this Dutch. And, and there's a great line from Arnold. He's like, you never were that smart. Yeah. And then they all go over the helicopter and they fast rope down into the jungle. And then they move through this really intense kind of cool place. We see too that Dylan has been out of this kind of fighting in, for a while. He makes noise. He doesn't move as smoothly as the other guys move through the right. jungle. So much so that in one of the scenes where he slips and falls, a character- Mac. Mac, Mac. Uh, played by Bill Duke, who went on to become a really prolific and decent uh, and quite accomplished director, rounds back on Dylan as he's gathering himself up after his fall. And he's, he, he basically threatens Dylan and he says, I don't care who you are back in the world. You give our position, you're ghosting us, motherfucker. You give yeah. our position away again, I'll, I'll bleed you real quiet and leave you here. Yeah. And he turns around before Dylan can say anything. And this is a little acting moment where Carl Weathers was about to say something back to Dylan, but he, he has to bite it back because Mac has said what he wants to say and he's on his way now. Yeah. And it's, it's just, a, it's a cool scene. Uh, yeah. Anything you want to say about them as they're moving towards the guerrilla camp? No, I mean, um, I noticed that scene as well because you get the sense that uh, Duke and his, uh, um, or Dutch, should be, Dutch and his team yeah. are, Duke, they're Duke, very, yeah, Joe on us. Yeah, yeah, I did. Uh, well, you just mentioned Bill Duke, but they're very used to working together. And I think that all of these scenes kind of uh, establish very well that all of these guys have absolute confidence in one another they can they can read each other's shorthand they can read each other's uh facial expressions uh just gestures of the hand and it definitely establishes that you know these guys are the best the best there is at what they do that's right that's right i think something that's aided in this is that there are like i think four former military people in this cast okay arnold schwarzenegger was a tank driver the guy who plays chavez was a tunnel rat in vietnam okay jesse ventura was a tunnel rat and uh, not a tunnel rat he was too big for that but uh, Jesse Ventura was a was a Navy SEAL in Vietnam and uh, Sonny Landon was a, was in the Army for three or four years so okay. these guys all kind of are able to kind of talk like they're in the military you know they, they behave quite quite authentically yeah. though Jesse Ventura ragged all of them I guess and he, he was like uh, you know this is kind of a in, in the making of he kind of he said you know these guys they're actors I like them and they do acting soldiering pretty well I wouldn't want to do this for real with them but right. uh, I'll, 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 I'll do soldiering in a movie with them a lot of the a lot of the guys didn't like that especially the tunnel rat chavez he's like i don't think that's right i i think we're fine in a fight Well, but but that also kind of fits his character. Yes. Because uh, there is the scene to go back in the helicopter where, because he's chewing tobacco and, and he spits right on uh, Dylan's boot. Yes. And it's kind of a challenge. And Dylan handles it okay. He does. Because, he, be, because actually, you're almost kind of nervous, like, you know, you're not going to win this one, so be careful. Yeah. And he, he just kind of motions him to come closer and he says, that's a nasty habit you have there. And his response seems to uh Blaine is the name of his character, of Jesse Ventura's character. His response is enough to win his respect. Yes. So he says the right thing. He's not, he's not, I mean, like, that's a bad fight for the the Dylan character in an enclosed helicopter, right? Right, right. But he's not scared of Blaine at all. Right. And and that, and, 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 Bl- and Blaine respects that. Like, he does. So, so yeah. I think he's like, okay, how are you going to react to it? And you know? it's funny, too, because this goes back to that uh, everybody's acting. When, he, when Jesse Ventura's Blaine spit on uh, Carl Weathers' boot. Chavez is right next to him and he kind of he kind of gives this uh, look like, oh, this is going to be interesting, you know? Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, but that's what makes this movie so textured and so good. Everybody's acting all the 
time. And not in a way that is hammy. Nobody's a ham in this film. Nobody's right. nobody's chewing scenery to say, look at me. Everybody's doing just what their character requires. I mean, I, I, I'm with you. I, I think that this film doesn't get enough respect and Arnold specifically doesn't get enough respect. But as they're moving through the jungle, they're trying to find evidence of where these guys, where their targets, uh, uh, sorry, they're, they're, the people they need to rescue are. They find a crashed helicopter. Right. This is uh, this is where Arnold and his team start to have suspicions that they've been lied to. Right. Chavez uh, climbs up to this helicopter. It's hanging in Liana's uh, vines. It's, it's, it hasn't even hit the ground. This jungle is so dense. It's been hung right. up on vines. And he finds two pilots. They've been shot in the head. And as we, we learn later on, the rebels have stripped the helicopter of everything. Everybody's a little hushed when Dylan comes around when they're talking. Mm-hmm. They don't. They, nobody on the team trusts Dylan at all. Right. But Chavez says this doesn't look like a diplomatic bird. It looks like a surveillance helicopter. Yeah, yeah. It was hit with heat-seeking missiles, and Arnold starts asking Dylan questions, and I think he's hoping that Dylan will come clean to him. And he doesn't. He doesn't. He doesn't. And one of the things that's kind of nice too is like Carl Weathers. You can you you know right away that he's lying to Dutch. Yeah. I think it's deliberate. That I think that's the deliberate choice that Carl Weathers is making to make Dylan's lies seem obvious. Yeah. Why do you think he did that? I'm just curious. I don't know. I, I have a why? I have a hypothesis, but why do you think Dylan does that? Why Carl Weathers? Why Why did Carl Weathers choose to make to deliver those lines like he was lying? Well, so because there's a genuine connection between the Dutch and Dylan that is established from the very beginning, and that connection is not lost throughout film. No, uh, even though they're kind of on the opposite philosophically, as we will discover shortly, when it comes to military operations, they have grown apart and have developed a separate individual philosophy about how to deal with these situations. But at the same time, there's still a lot of affection between the two of them. There's still uh, there's still a lot of mutual respect, camaraderie, yeah, yeah. and 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 I think that that's. I mean, I mean, I guess I would defer to you in terms of, of of your hypothesis, but I think that I would just state as a fact that the way Schwarzenegger and Weathers play the two characters, the the connection between the two of them is never lost uh, throughout the film, even though they do come into conflict in a, yeah, few, yeah, no. in, well, in a few well, moments. No, no, I, what you're saying is in line with my hypothesis. I, I thought that Weathers delivered chose to have Dylan deliver those lines not as adroitly as he might have to somebody he didn't care about. Right. But I think his heart wasn't in line to Dutch is what I what is what I think you're saying and it's what I'm saying so he, he delivers those lines they're not they're, they don't ring true but I don't yeah. think he, I, I think it's because Carl Weathers thought and I would love to have Carl on sometime Carl I know you're you have to be a listener um <laughs> I, I have to. Th- I, I wonder if Carl didn't say Dylan wouldn't want to lie to him, so his lies wouldn't seem authentic. I mean, I when you see Dylan in this movie, you get the sense that he's a very accomplished CIA agent. He's yes, running absolutely. An op- he's running an operation down here. I mean, he's a, he's a capable guy. But so they find the helicopter, and so now the tension is ramped up because the danger is very real. All of the the soldiers know it, and then they start moving through the jungle. Oh, so but let me back up a little bit. We learn from Billy, the their point man, their tracker, uh, that the hostages were taken north right. and he says something else major there are six men wearing army issue boots that follow them right and this is the second lie that that dylan gives arnold i'm sorry dutch and he says uh what's that about and he's like i don't know probably just more rebels you know they operate in this area all the time yeah. and then they move on and uh and this is more jungle scenes they move through the jungle very gi joe like i said folks making this this series this gi joe series jason reference watch this movie um right. and uh very shortly after that we we find out what happened to at least a few of them those those people oh. in the US issue boots. Folks, my dad let my sister watch this movie when she was six. 
And this scene comes up. Billy moves through the jungle. He hears something. He's moving through the jungle. I Watching them film with subtitles, I realized that one of the things that he hears is the predator chattering. It says predator chattering in the background. Yeah. But he's moving this foliage around and he moves the foliage and he comes face to face with like three or four guys skinned, skinned. They have no skins, audience. He's horrified, uh, as they all are. We are horrified. We it's, are horrified. It's, pretty it's not pleasant to watch. It, and it looks pretty good. It does. It does look pretty yeah. good. And... Uh, what happened here? They they find some dog tags in a pile of intestines. My dad let my sister watch this movie when she was six. I think um, you already said that. Yes. <laughs> I let my daughter watch this movie younger than than when Jason let his son watch the movie, but older than six. Jesus, Dad. Um, but uh, it's your favorite movie to this day, though, my sister. So whatever, I guess. But uh, we learned that it was a guy named Jim Harper who Arnold, who, who Dutch knew. But Hopper. 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 That's you right. think it's Harper because of the way Arnold says it. But it's true. It's true. It's um, Hopper, like Dennis. Hopper. Yes, and uh, there were green bodies out of Fort Bragg. <laughs> What were they doing here? And here the tension starts to rise between Arnold and Dylan. And this is brilliantly acted uh, between yeah. Dutch and Dylan. Dylan says, I don't know. I mean, nobody told me there was an operation in this in this, in this this area. And Arnold is mad because he knows Dylan just lied to him. He knows his friend just lied to him. And and Arnold is, I, I mean, I wish I could, I, I, I can't sing Arnold's praises enough in the scene because he, he gets really mad and he says, well, somebody sent them. And the look on his face is like, why the fuck did you just lie to me? Yeah. yeah. And, uh, and he's like, uh, then he has a really cool talk with Billy, the their tracker, uh, played really well by Sonny Landham because Arnold has a lot of respect for Jim Hopper. Yeah. Uh, Dutch Dutch knows the guy. He's like, I can't believe that Jim Hopper walked into a trap. And this is where we get our f- more tension, more weirdness happening because Billy says, I don't think he did. Yeah. Billy um, is the tracker of, uh, for the team. And Billy deserves a lot of credit because Billy starts, he's a great tracker because he gets he gets the lay of what's going on very quickly. Yes. I, I think Billy even before he ever says it, yes. recognizes that they're in big trouble. Absolutely, absolutely. It's interesting. This team is so good, though. This 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 uh, Duchess Commandos, they're really good. All of them are a little antsy. They know something is... like. There are a couple times where Dutch pauses, uh, Billy pauses. I think somebody else in the team does, too. They get the sense that they're being watched. And in this act, we do get some sense that they are being watched. We get like the thermal imaging uh, right. of the Predator watching them. But, uh, but in this scene where Arnold's talking to to Billy uh Billy says you know they were firing in all directions right yeah and then then Dutch says well, what happened to the rest of them and 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 this is one of the great lines oh no major they didn't leave here yeah it's hell it's like they just disappeared and and that's when Arnold like basically gives the order for like really strict discipline nobody gets out of each other's sight everybody you know with everybody's within five meters and they move through the jungle until they come upon the the rebel camp and like I said like you said earlier rather this uh, this act is all pretty much with the exception of the little bits of tension with what's going on on the periphery with Hopper, right? Right. With Billy acting strange now and then. As Billy pauses a few times, just like, what what's what's watching me? There's something out here with me, you know? Right. But otherwise, this is a 1980s action film. The best yes. 1980s action film you ever saw. Yes. They get to the, uh, they get to the rebel camp. They get the lay of the land. They see a hostage shot. And Arnold does a really great job of like really being broken about this. He's like, they didn't get there in time to save this hostage. And so... No more surveillance. They've got to. They've got to go in and, and try and save any hostages that are left. And go ahead, take it away. You you like yeah. this a lot. I do too. Oh gosh. Oh yeah. So um, what? I mean, you're quite right because uh, uh, Dutch ends up, I think, assaulting the uh, the camp a little bit more aggressively than anybody else thinks that that he would. Yeah. But this is a great action scene. 
I guess they linger on a bit because, you know, they spend a certain amount of time on it and it has nothing to do with the uh, the alien in the film. He, he, he sneaks into the camp, puts a bomb in a a vehicle, a, a, a truck that they have the engine going uh, because they're using the engine for the truck to pump water, water or something. Yeah, I think yeah. pump water, yeah. And uh, he, he takes off the pump, uh, puts a bomb in the in the bed of the truck, sends the truck in, it, go, it blows up, and basically the entire team just machine guns the hell out of the entire oh camp. Oh my God. And and the, the stunt coordinators and John McTiernan, the director, really must have gloried in this scene. This is going to be the biggest action scene in the movie. I yes. think the biggest classical action scene and it's all really well done for the 1980s like if you watch it with modern eyes you're going to kind of notice that doesn't everybody shoot their M16s from the hip a little too much but whatever it's 1987 let yourself have this 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 moment in the film because it's it's all pretty well done the the characters uh, are having a lot of fun and we get the most iconic gun in cinema history deployed in this movie and that is Jesse Ventura's Old Painless which is a a man <laughs> portable minigun. It's the first time this was done in films, right? Yeah. Uh, this is the, this gun here, actually. It's supposed to be mounted on a helicopter, but it's mounted on Jesse Ventura, basically. <laughs> and uh, in, in the Making Up documentary, Jesse Jesse Ventura had a lot of fun shooting this thing. But yeah. you, they only got like 20 seconds of footage out of it, actually. Right, Because right. It, it, it cycled through rounds so quickly. The gun itself is it shoots 6,000 rounds a minute. Gosh. So, so, the, so, so technically, everybody, well, I'll get to it in a minute. 6,000 rounds a minute is a lot of rounds. But uh, these guys had so much fun. I, I think they had to have so much fun <laughs> shooting this, this film. They loaded up bad guy terrorists with so many squibs. A squib is a is a special effects prop that you put under people's clothes and it blows up and it has little blood that pops out. There were a couple of stuntmen that just get like shot for 10 seconds straight. like, And they just do like the, the 1980s bad guy dance as they get shot. I mean, I love this scene. It it, it's, it establishes a couple things. Everybody's really good at what they do. Everybody's really uh, an interesting... Everybody's, everybody is in their character. Uh, Jesse Ventura chews through scenery really well here, but they all do. They all have great moments in this scene. What this scene reminded me of, uh, a, a film that you and I have both seen and that we'll probably review someday, my um, a war film from the 60s, uh, listeners, uh, The Guns of Navarone. There's this scene in the movie where, the, uh, again, we have a, a crack command squad and they're accosted uh they're out at sea and they're accosted by a german boat and uh these these soldiers come aboard begin investigating everything and and the moment that they decide to engage these germans it's probably 40 seconds before all the germans are dead and the ship is at the bottom of the sea yes the ger the, the 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 german ship and this scene reminds me of that because our heroes sustain no casualties and kill everybody they do kill everybody i uh, know it, it, it's glorious. Uh, interesting that you mentioned Guns of Navarone because there was, of course, a sequel. Uh, what was that? Uh, Force 10 from Navarone. Correct, Richard yes. Guard. Yeah, which had Harrison Ford. But who else? Robert Shaw. Who else? Um, He's in this movie. Carl Weathers. Carl Weathers. Anyway, it's interesting yeah. that we went there. Seven degrees of Carl Weathers instead of... Uh, yeah! But anyway, yeah. so they decimate this camp. Uh, Arnold Schwarzenegger <laughs> kills the... Dutch kills the leader of the camp with his uh, grenade launcher. Arnold Schwarzenegger carries what I think is called an 
M205. It has an M16 with a grenade launcher underneath it. Right. And uh, Dylan says the hostages are in that in that uh, cabin or whatever. So uh, Dutch goes in there, kicks the door down, and says, "What does he say? I can't remember now." Uh, knock, knock is what he says, and then he <laughs> shoots this guy with the fucking grenade launcher, and the guy flies out. The guy who he kills in this scene, by the way, is one of his best. Uh, is one of Arnold Schwarzenegger's best friends. He was a bodybuilder that is in like a lot of Arnold Schwarzenegger movies. Actually, can't remember the guy's name. Uh... Sidebar. The actor in question is a man named Sven Ole Thorson, and it's now my turn to be castigated by Lord Movies. Forgive me. Uh, so into the sidebar. Here in this scene, at the end of this scene, all of Dylan's lies unravel. Yeah. Arnold is getting a brief from Mac. He says, hey, you know, something very big was about to go down here. Nobody was a diplomat. The guy who he killed was a CIA operative. The other guys we killed, all Russian military advisors. Yeah. And so now Arnold knows that something's up. And then he's waiting around in, his, in, in the place where he's... Uh, oh, sorry. After he kills the leader, or the Russian advisor, he also knocks out a gorilla, who we, whose name we don't know yet. But uh, she's sneaking up on him, but she makes the mistake of not having her gun cocked and ready uh, and he clubs her with the gun and it's Anna she'll be our she'll be uh, one of the characters in the film that follows us the rest of the way Carl Weathers comes in Dylan comes in I mean to say and he's excited he is so excited he's going through the papers and we get the first scene that is better than any 80s film had any right to expect the argument between Arnold and Dylan yes oh my God. I think this is what you're looking for you sell Bullshit! All of it. The cabinet minister, the whole business. Got us here to do your dirty work. Look, we just stopped a major invasion, and three days later, been across the border with this stuff. Why us? Because nobody else could have pulled it off. You pissed about the cover story. I knew I couldn't get you in here without it. So, what story did you hand to Hapa? Look, we've been looking for this place for months. My men were in that chopper when it got hit. Hopper's orders were to go in and get my men, and he disappeared. He didn't disappear. He was skinned alive. And my orders were to get somebody and who could crack these bastards. So he cooked up a story and dropped the six of us in a meat grinder. What happened to you, Dylan? You used to be somebody I could trust. Why? There are a couple of different scenes in this movie where I was like, why is this so good? This is 1987. This is a Joel Silver film. Joel Silver and Arnold Schwarzenegger gave me Commando, which had no amazing acting in it it was just a fun action film i think carl weathers is almost always great you're and, right uh, you're right but but i think john mctiernan also deserves some credit because this argument that you're describing is all done in close-up yep. uh we see the sweat on both of them we see um the narrowing of their eyes because uh, you oh, know, it's, it's because of the close-up and we kind of see which is very interesting because there's no reason why this movie has to get philosophical about military operations yep. but it i mean it really doesn't because it has nothing to do with the plot. Nothing to do with the plot. This is all but about these two characters and it's us all about who these they two, are. It's all about these two characters. A lesser film would not have even bothered. But we then discover that uh, in all of his time in the CIA, Dylan has accepted the fact that the mission comes first and that um, operatives are expendable material. Yep. We are all expendable. And he, he basically reveals to Dutch, I mean, he does come clean here, yeah. that yes, I used you because I knew that 
you wouldn't uh, you wouldn't have agreed to do this if I you know if I just asked. And I don't think Dylan thinks he's done anything wrong. No, I, I mean I I get the sense that he's I mean he knows he knows Dutch is going to be angry. And 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 this has been the moment that he's kind of I mean he knew this was going to happen at the end of the mission somehow. The scene is I don't know I, I think it's just one of the best arguments to uh, two friends have in cinema. I mean this is this stands out to me. I mean it's great acting. But Arnold Dutch is I'm sorry Dylan is going through the stuff the paperwork this is actually accurate by the way terrorists keep a lot of records yeah you know and uh yeah. and so dylan is you know this is an intelligence treasure trove right and uh arnold walks up to him dutch walks up to him and says here i think this is what you're looking for and then he manhandles carl weathers into a wall this is a tough moment for the audience to watch because we know these guys like each other yeah. and dylan comes clean like you said but the the thing that really i think hurts dylan in this scene is when what story did you hand to Jim Hopper, Arnold asked. Yeah. Him. And Dylan fires back. Is like, my men were in that chopper when it went down. I mean, he's like, I did this because I had to. I care about my people. I sent Jim Hopper in here to do this. Dylan is not without conviction here. No, no. Like, like this scene does not end with a, a clear uh, moral victory of one over the other, right? No, I mean, you're absolutely right. One of the things that sells this for me is Carl Weathers plays Dylan as a guy who cared about his friends and his operatives. Sorry, I don't know if they were his friends, but they were his people. They went down and he's almost in tears when he's yelling at Arnold. Mm -hmm. And so he kind of goes into this justification mode, which is not, these aren't bad, bad arguments that he's giving Arnold. Great, yeah. Because the, the thing that really kind of sets him off is like when uh, when Arnold says, so you cooked up a story and dropped the six of us in a meat grinder. Yeah. And Dylan doesn't accept that. Yeah. He thinks that there was a better, there was a, that there was good reasons for doing what he did. Yeah. I think that this is a character moment that you, like you said, a lesser film would not have even realized needed to be in in the film this movie this movie did not have to do it and also this film does ask moral questions but it also makes clear that it's not it's not the goal of this film to answer those questions no 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 and and both of them are actually you know kind of i mean they both make good points in this and i and, I, and for me the, the 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 heart of the scene for me as a as a viewer is i like both these characters yeah and 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 the film is and by the way the film is why just drop it there i mean to let us decide you know who we think has the better point because um because you're quite right they both have they both have good points but it's not going to be long before this argument becomes kind of moot <laughs> let me let me add to that a little bit i like both the characters but but what i really like is their friendship and what i'm seeing yeah is this friendship fray in this moment yeah and, and i think that it's just kind of a powerful a powerful scene that I, that I dig that didn't have to be in this fucking movie so then uh, they find out that they can't be helicoptered out because gorillas are closing in all over the place. They, they have, have to get over the border, I believe. They have to get to a place where a helicopter can come pick them up safely. Right. And they're professionals. They're a little annoyed by this, but none of them are that bothered by the fact that they're going to have to walk out of the jungle. None of them right. are. Right. Um, uh, except for Billy. Dutch comes up to him and says, uh, place is too hot for a pickup. Billy, <laughs> get me a way out of this hole. And Billy says, look, the only way out is through this valley, but I wouldn't broke that. I wouldn't I wouldn't risk that on a, again, right. audience. I didn't know what he said for years, but a broke dicked dog is what he says i wouldn't waste I, I wouldn't waste that on a broke dick dog which i don't get i guess it's kind of a kansas thing i don't know but but uh it's something that he says <laughs> dutch says well we don't have much choice so all right lead us out of here this is where they pick up anna because carl weathers i'm sorry dylan says this lady knows all kinds of stuff she's she's a valuable asset i'm she's coming out with us and dutch is like no 
we're not doing that. And we're, she'll, she'll give our position away every chance she gets. Dylan pulls rank again, straining their friendship a little bit. Now she's coming with us. You're under my orders, so that's just the way it is. But I do like this moment where where Dutch basically says, "All right, man, that's fine, but you fall behind. That's it. You're on your own. You're on your own. Yeah." And so and then they start their trek away. But there's some cool scenes where we start to see more of the predator here. Yeah, we the viewer we begin to see um, the predator's point of view where he's actually seeing the team. We kind of get the sense of uh, the audio that the that the predator is picking up. There's a kind of important moment actually yes. where uh, Mac calls Dylan over to him, and of course it's been established that Mac and Dylan, in fact Mac has threatened Dylan by this point, yeah. and, and he calls him over. Uh, Mac then takes a knife and apparently stabs Dylan in the shoulder, and then we discover that he's actually killed a scorpion that's on his shoulder. Yep. When Dylan realizes, he thanks him, and he's like, you know, don't mention it or whatever. Um, anytime but, is what he says. Anytime, anytime. And I'm glad, I'm glad you, because that line comes up again, because I noticed on the third viewing, the Predator is recording everything that they're saying. Yes. And it, it all comes up again. The Predator watches this exchange, and I think it's at this point that, that the creature begins following them and deciding that he's going to hunt them. Yes, I we, we, we there's a scene earlier in the in the in the moment in the film where the predator is watching them and I wonder on on a few viewings I was wondering is he is the predator gauging them to see if they're going to be worthy to hunt. Right. And right. and of course the predator has ample evidence as it's, as so as the as the as Dutch's team moves off into the jungle the predator comes down into the destroyed camp and we see bodies cooling and it's the predator sees in thermal vision. Yeah. Right, and we see bodies cooling. The predator has ample evidence that these are going to be a great. Th- these guys are going to provide a great hunt, which we learn over the course of the film that that's what this creature comes to Earth to do to hunt. The predator does not uh, is not interested in killing just for the sake of killing. No, there has to be a challenge. These guys are going to be the cream of the crop, the best hunt that this predator could have. Right. Right. So moving on to the jungle, this moves into chapter two, or the, the second act of the film, rather part the horror part. Is that, is that fair to you? <laughs> Is that fair to say that this is the horror chapter? I think so, because this is the part where everything falls apart. Up to this point in the film, our heroes have been extraordinarily confident in everything that they've done. We just saw them dispatch an entire uh, a platoon of of of, uh, of enemy soldiers without losing without losing a man. And not just, and- not, just not just confident. I want to I want to add a, an element to this. They've been extraordinarily competent as well, competent yeah. and confident. But then suddenly, in, in this section of the film, uh, Billy is the first one who discovers that they're being watched, yes. and they're being watched by somebody that he he really intuits very quickly that he doesn't understand yep. that this this creature's out of their league. I think that he he understands that that's what happened to the um, the soldiers that they found that were skinned. And uh, from here on out, not from here on out, but from this middle act of the film, we see our heroes go from supremely uh, dominant warriors to sitting ducks. Oh yeah, they don't they. Don't don't know that they've stepped into a different confrontation. Yeah. But but you're right. Billy is the one who notices first. Yeah. Uh, and, and I think it's just probably a lifetime of being in the woods. I mean, I get the sense, and again, this is all goes back to character design and acting. I get the sense that Billy is the premier woodsman, you know? He knows when things are different in the woods. He knows when there's silences that there shouldn't be. Right. In the woods. There's, a, there's a scene where they're going down to the valley and everything's moving along pretty well. Oh, prior to this, though, I want to back up. Anna is exactly the trouble that... 
that Dutch said she was going to be. She's going to yeah. try and escape, and if she gets a chance, she would she would have revealed their position to her her comrades. Right. Um, and so, but anyway, she 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 almost escapes from Dylan early, but Chavez stops her. And he stops her. She's running off after she gets away from Dylan. He says, "I'm going to keep her on a short leash, Agent Man." And then Dylan, you know, tries to act tough because he's embarrassed. Try it again. I want you to. Yeah, and uh, and he looks up to Chavez to make sure that you know he's saying the right things. I mean, he, right. he also wants to be accepted by these people because he used to be these people. Right. I think eventually he is accepted by them. Do you think that's right? Yeah, no, I, I I do think that's right, but but that's because of the circumstances that they're in. Um, and 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 he is able to to I think finally. Well, I mean, it's jumping ahead a bit, but he does say that you know maybe you know, a bit of you is rubbed off on me. Yeah. And and um and, and we'll get to that, but. Yeah. Yeah, but I mean, but but you think I'm on the right track here? Yeah, yeah, yeah. We'll, we'll revisit it later if you, if you think if you're in doubt. But anyway, um, nobody ever really doubts my wisdom. Uh, but Anna is exactly the trouble that, that that everybody predicted. Um, Billy is leading them away, and he gets ahead of them. He's their he's their point man. He's their scout, and he freezes in the middle of a clearing. And we get it. We we get a little combination because Dutch notices immediately that there's something wrong because Billy's just kind of standing out in the open. Uh, he does the hand signal, uh, which I always which I. <laughs> I always thought, okay, Arnold, your arms are huge. That's fine. But Arnold basically does like a, a single biceps pose. Like I used to be kind of into bodybuilding audience and I totally get what uh, what Arnold was doing. Cause I used to like, when people would ask me for the time, I would like flex as I would, as I would <laughs> give the time. Um, and uh, anyway, uh, yeah, that's an aside. But Arnold kind of tells everybody to kind of find a place to hide, to get out of sight and be quiet. And right. he moves up and he, he says, what's going on to Mac? Mac seems to me to be like that sergeant that is crucial to any operation being successful. Mm-hmm. He's a guy who the commander, the officer, looks to a lot. And he basically says, what's going on? And he's like, I know. Mac has noticed Billy's strange behavior ever since they left the camp. He's been acting squirrely right. today. I don't know. It's that nose of his. He doesn't know what, what's, what's, yeah. what's got Billy being squirrely. But everybody trusts Billy, right? And then right. And, uh, Billy is in the clearing and he's rubbing. He's, he's, uh, he's touching this totem or this necklace, this charm on his neck that I assume has something to do with his 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 uh, Native American culture, right? There's something. There's some kind of right, right. Some kind of totemic protection. Dutch comes up to him and says, "What's going on?" He's like, "Okay." He actually, Dutch has to grab him to make him focus on him, Sergeant. Oh yeah, because yeah, and he and, 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 he, and he responds to him, and, and he yeah, says, he's like, "Whoa!" And and uh, and Sonny Landham is really great because he gives Arnold a look that's like like intense, like he thinks he's about to have to fight because he has, he he hasn't even registered that Dutch has approached him. He's so focused on right. what's ahead of him, and he says. Uh, something in those trees and from the predator's perspective we get a lot of their conversation it's just, do you see anything and Dutch says no I don't and uh, Billy kind of shoves his instincts aside a little bit so I guess it's nothing major and he moves on Dutch doesn't believe that because Dutch watches him go and he's right. like Billy just told me something to just get us moving again but he didn't he he still thinks there's something he still thinks there's something up there shortly after that they're starting to move on while Dutch is having this conversation with Billy Dylan has asked another member of the team to watch Anna so he can go up to Mac and see what's going on. Anna has been scheming her next escape attempt, and she's like, she's picking up a stick that's under the detritus, and uh, she's gonna, she was gonna club Dylan, but she will hit anybody with this stick. And uh, poor Chavez comes up, and Chavez is trying to be nice. They're trying to let the prisoner know that they're not gonna hurt her, and he kind of gives her a smile, and she gives her, she gives him the sweetest smile before she smacks him upside the head with this stout bit of of jungle wood, and then she bolts. And this is the beginning 
beginning of the end. Hawkins chases her, yep. stops her, and uh, of course it, his his Coke bottle glasses are all steamed up. Yep. And um, but then um, something happens uh, from the perspective of Anna, and kind of from the perspective of us. Yes, it seems that the jungle comes alive. Yes, and grabs Hawkins and drags him away. And the reason I say that it seems that the jungle comes alive is because uh, we, the viewer, have already seen this, but this is the first time everybody else in the team or anybody on the team has seen it where the um the predator can cloak himself he he has kind of a cloaking device if you're looking right at him you can see a shimmery kind of aura about him but otherwise you see through him and you see and you see the jungle yeah. and he takes hawkins and drags him away and uh well first kills him and splatters anna with uh with, with blood and then drags him away and anna i want i want to i want to highlight anna uh carrillo's uh performance here she is a gem throughout this entire movie and yeah. the horror she evokes you know in her facial expressions when that blood hits her face oh my god i felt so bad for her oh so it's almost like her character you know you talk about the three parts of the film for her character there are two parts of the film there's pre this moment and post this moment absolutely before this moment she is speaking in spanish she's trying to get away she's trying to uh get to her comrades you said after this moment she is almost constantly in living terror for her life yes. and her attitude towards these other people that she's with flips completely it, it's I, I don't know if it flips completely it starts to flip here hawkins gets taken away then the team arrives at where she's at and they see she's covered in blood she's kind of starting to crawl away because like you said she's in stark terror oh she's just sitting there she's not crawling away i thought she started to crawl away uh, she's just sitting against the okay. tree just kind of but trembling anyway, yeah but she's quite terrified and uh they're like what happened to hawkins and because he, he's not there um yeah. i'll do a pre-sidebar so I don't have to cut this in later. Apparently, Shane Black's mother always, when she saw this in the theater, she got up and left in this moment because oh, she yeah. didn't see her son get killed. And she she and she and didn't come back in until his scene, the entire scene of him, his death and demise. Yeah. Was, and that's not quite over yet, but but so I guess she she fast forwards through this too. So anyway, um, okay. you can, uh, moms are going to mom. Um, right. But uh, but Chavez uh, goes and looks for Hawkins and uh, he finds like what looks like a pile of intestines simultaneously. Uh, Dylan and Dutch are questioning uh, Anna, right? Right. And uh, Dylan, I'm sorry, Dutch is a little, he doesn't quite know what's going on. Uh, Dylan thinks maybe Anna did something to Hawkins, right? Right. Which would say a lot about her capabilities because it looks like she's just gutted a pig or something, you know what I mean? She's covered in blood. But Elpidia Carrillo is is navigating this scene like a person who is in fear for her life, not just of what just happened, but she is, her eyes, when the camera focuses on her, her eyes are darting back and forth from Dutch later on to Chuck Chavez to, to Dylan, because she is very much worried, I think, in that moment that she might be killed by these people, too. Yeah. And so, that's why I don't think that her perspective on them changes very, right then. But but I just thought, wow, because she's she's a, she's a gorilla. They think maybe she had something to do with what happened to, to one of their men, their team, Hawkins. And and I just think that she knows how her people would react to this. Yeah, no, I see, I agree with that. I mean, when I said that her perspective shifted, she was no longer trying to get away from them at that time. No, no, no. Yeah. She, no, yeah, yeah. This this is another moment where the film is visually inventive. The film focuses on Arnold as he's like examining uh, Anna and uh, Hawkins comes back in and says, comes back through the foliage and says, Major, I think you better see this. And That's very interesting that Hawkins would come back when Hawkins was just killed. Not ha- uh, uh, Ramirez. Chavez. Ch- sorry, yeah. Um, I'm thinking of, a, of, a, of, a, of an alternate version of this movie where, <laughs> where, where zombie Hawkins comes back. Major, look what happened to me. <laughs> 
But uh, anyway, Chavez comes back and says, Major, I think you need to look at this. And uh, I will leave all this in, by the way. Um, uh, says, is it? And, and, and Dutch says, is it Hawkins? And Chavez says, I don't know. In this scene, it's a it's a tight close-up of Arnold. And in the background is Chavez blurred because he's not in focus, right? right. And, but we get to see Arnold's reaction to all of these these new developments. And, and it goes, and this underscores what a decent actor Arnold is, right? Yeah. He's like, what the fuck is Hawkins saying here? I, I, Hawkins is saying nothing, as Jason noted. I'm sorry. What the fuck is Chavez saying? And, and he goes and finds this pile of intestines. Hawkins's equipment is bloody. I mean, it, it looks terrible. And uh, and at that moment where Chavez and, and Dutch are looking at the intestines and the bloody equipment, Dutch says, go ask her what happened. Go ask Anna what happened. He asks her in Spanish what happened and she responds and he translates in which, as I said, she says that the jungle came alive and took him. Yes. Um, Dylan responds like, well, you know, that's not what happened. That's ridiculous. Well, and um, he even questions Chavez's translation because he says that's not what she said. What, what she says, well, what, that doesn't make any sense yeah 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 but 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 then dutch points out that uh you know well why didn't they take his radio and his his gear why didn't she run away yes um he, like you know he he reads what happens in a very logical way that you know that none of this makes any sense if she killed him then she, then she would have continued on her way off with, uh, or off if somebody else i'm sorry say that again yeah and or, yeah or if somebody else had killed him they would have taken his gear they wouldn't have just left it there yes um it's very dutch recognizes very quickly that th there's a motivation problem that that uh or a motive problem that yes clearly somebody killed hawkins but whatever their motive was it's not anything that makes sense to them that goes back to again dylan is jumping to these are gorillas attacking us nobody else necessarily jumps to that uh may maybe some of them might even be a little bit inclined to agree with uh dylan but but dylan has been out of the game for a while dutch recognizes what the their opposition would do and they didn't do it which is what you're oh, saying and, and, and yeah and, and and also at this point, Dylan is a little, you're right, he's out of the game, but he's also, he's still, his mind is still on the objectivist point. Yes. Um, he, he he wants to bring Anna back, which Dutch did not want to do, because uh, he's still trying to complete the objective of, you know, gathering intelligence on this area. Yes. And, and the rest of the team has moved, as not only has moved beyond that, but really they were never interested in that in the first place. Nope. Uh, they were always about rescue and survival, but, um, but Dylan's not there yet, nope. you know, in these moments, he's still inhabiting his perspective that the team and himself are all assets. Yes, yes. Um, so I want Hawkins' body found, is what he says to his people, and uh, and he and he says, okay, go find. Let's go, let's find his body. And they move off. And there's a really great scene where uh, Dutch is moving through the jungle. There's something dripping on a vine next to him, and then he moves on. But the yeah. camera stays on the vine, and it tracks up. And then we see some of this stuff dripping onto some leaves, and we realize that what was dripping is blood. And then it pans up to Hawkins, not zombie Hawkins, as I thought earlier, but 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 the bloody and mutilated body of, of Hawkins. This is this is a great scene that would have fit very well in a one of the better hammer horror films. This is a you're right, it's, it's entirely effective. Um, and it is exactly the way we found Jim Hopper. Hopper, yes, the Green Beret out of Fort Bragg. <laughs> I'm gonna do that a lot, audience. I apologize. Um, I, I find my Arnold Schwarzenegger a lot after watching Predator. More than most of his other films, I find I find my 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 Arnold, my interior Arnold in this movie. Head but to uh, the chopper, do it, <laughs> do it now. That's his favorite line, by the way, of all of his films. But it's uh, his. It's Arnold's favorite line of all of his okay. films. But anyway, so now they're moving in the jungle. The commandos are mad. Everybody's mad because Hawkins is dead. But it, nothing improves for the for the soldiers 
after this. The next person hit very quickly is Blaine. He's moving through the jungle. He hears a possum, a South American possum or Central American possum. He thinks it's a, a, an enemy and he's excited because he's going to get to destroy whatever it is with this minigun. And uh, it's nothing. He sees that it's a possum and he kind of has a little, huh, I'm a little jumpy face, right? Um, and then he dies horribly. And, and Ventura does a great job of being a little shocked here. He gets shot. Yeah. He gets shot. We don't see by what, but he kind of like stumbles and he's like, he's dying already, I think, you know? And then he gets yeah. hit again. And, and then he gets hit again brutally. And we don't see the extent of the injuries yet, but uh, he falls over and dies. And then what we learn later on is his best friend, or not even later on, we see this, we see the Mac-Blaine uh, interaction throughout. These guys, Mac played by Bill Duke and Blaine played by uh, Jesse Ventura. These guys are what Dylan and Dutch used to be, right? And uh, these guys right. fought together in Vietnam and they have not left each other's side. These guys are, these, these guys are bros, right? They're best yeah. friends. Yep. Mac discovers Blaine's body and he sees something that his mind doesn't know how to uh, deal with and that is the, the predator in its camouflage form. He sees its eyes and then they disappear and Mac does what you do when you find your friend uh, dead. Obviously murdered by a fucking monster. He starts shooting at it, right? He screams with the minigun. He, he screams sergeant uh, yeah. which I only learned recently. I didn't know what the fuck he said. O only this week have I learned some of the dialogue of this movie. And I've been watching this movie religiously since 1987. Um, he runs out of uh, ammo in his gun and we get the most gratuitous firearm scene in all of cinema. This is firearms porn, what we see next. Uh, he runs out of ammo on his M60. He throws it to the ground. He picks up old Painless and Mac tries to kill the South American jungle. And then, <laughs> and, then everyone, and then everyone joins him. All of his all of his teammates says Mac wants to kill the South American jungle. We we shall do this. And everybody starts <laughs> shooting in the direction that Mac is shooting. And Mac is unloading with the minigun. Most of the characters in this scene reload at least once. Yeah. Quick note, the trivia sent me on a, a little roundabout. The minigun that Mac shoots, Jesse, uh, uh, Blaine's minigun, shoots 6,000 rounds a minute. He shoots for a minute and 30 seconds, right? Yeah. Later on, he'll say, you know, I unloaded 20 rounds with the minigun, full pack, you know, nothing on this earth could have survived. Mac shot 9,000 rounds. <laughs> It's the Predator. If the minigun does what the minigun does uh, and it isn't following the rule, Predator universe rules, 9,000, well, the only way that that pack could hold 9,000 rounds is if it's shooting 22 rounds. Yeah. I, I, I have a friend uh, named another Jason who went down a rabbit hole a few years ago about, oh, what would I need to do to survive a zombie apocalypse? This guy goes down rabbit holes and he's a maniac and he does listen to this show so he'll, he'll hopefully have a smile on his face when he listens to this. But he concluded that the best gun you should you could have is a 22 rifle for a zombie apocalypse you can carry what you can carry 10,000 rounds of 22 ammunition on your person and it will only weigh 70 pounds this is what my, my, yeah. other, my other friend Jason does with his time when he gets a bee in his bonnet about a thing but like but, but he's not wrong he's, he's not wrong right. Jason is rarely ever wrong Jason <laughs> is rarely ever wrong my co-host wrong occasionally <laughs> there's no way that Blaine could have carried nine thousand rounds of, of minigun ammunition. <laughs> I mean, it's a gun that's designed to be carried by a helicopter. <laughs> but anyway, that's a little aside. But it... <laughs> So 
leave aside the realism. It's a powerful. Uh, am I right? It is a powerful scene. Oh, I, I, oh, I, I, I think it's great, and it's it's a lot of fun to watch. Although, I mean, it did occur to me, maybe it didn't occur to Mac that okay, either you killed it, or after the first couple minutes, it got away. Yes. Well, I mean, I, and I think that goes back to like the team doesn't know why they're shooting into the woods. They think they're shooting into the woods for a sensible reason. Mac is venting because his best yeah. dead, right? Right. That's all he's doing. Maybe he killed the thing. He doesn't know. But I think that I think a lot of what happens with Mac here is rage. Yes. Um, and uh, the minigun is useless now because he shot up all the ammo. But they examine, they examine, they examine Blaine first, and they find that they turn him over. They turn Blaine over, and his rib cage is open. Well, um, there, there's one thing that you missed, and that's that. Um, what? what? Yeah. Um, the minigun runs out of ammo, and it keeps spinning for a few few seconds. Yes. Which is a great little moment because he still has his hand on the trigger. Yes. I guess is what you would still call it. And it takes him several seconds to let go. And there's this great, to me, it's a great cinematic moment where the, the um, you know, uh, uh, for, for listeners, it looks like what we would call a Gatling gun and, you know, where it spins and fires. And it's it's making this metallic kind of spinning sound. Absolutely. And, and it goes on for about maybe six or seven seconds. It's a it's long, long time. It's long. It's a long, a long moment um, because his, Mac is not there. Mac is Mac is emotionally ruined in this moment. You know what I mean? Yes. And it, it takes a while for that spinning to get through that, I think, that pain that he's in. He lets go of the trigger. It's a great moment. Absolutely. And uh, Dutch and Dylan are looking at Blaine's body. They, they're, they're confused by the wounds. There's no shrapnel. The wound, wounds all fused uh, and cauterized. What kind of thing could have done this to a man? Um, says Dylan. And then that's when that's when Dutch says, Sergeant, what happened? He has to say it a few times. This is the second person he's had to kind of pull out of their trance. Earlier it was with Billy. Sergeant, what happened? And Mac snaps at him. I don't know, God damn it. Right? Those eyes. He, he says, I don't know, God damn it, those eyes. Yeah. And uh, but he saw the eyes disappear. And uh go on, what happens? Uh go on. Uh what happens next? Well, I mean, they um they kind of realize at this point that they're in the shit. Yes. And 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 Dutch uh, gives orders to um they're gonna take Blaine with them. Yep, yep. What? Um, but um, boy, is this the moment where he he asked him to dig in and and uh, kind of mine well, the area? Well, so so the first thing that happens here, I'm sorry, I'm just kind of I'm I'm gonna use my iPad here to see where we're at in the scene. Um, he uh, yeah, because he tells Mac to to to, to basically mine the area, well, and then um because and then Mac that's right they, they volunteers to take care of the body because well, it was friends. Well, that's right. So so what happens is this: Dutch realizes Mac isn't really in a place to talk right now. So what he says is. He says, all right, Mac, we get the sense that Mac is their explosives guy. I mean, he's the guy who understands yeah. like setting traps. He's like, Mac, I want you to mine the area with everything we've got. Mac gets up. Mac says, okay. And then and then Dutch says, wrap, wrap Blaine up in his poncho. We'll take him with us. And Mac says, I'll t- I'll, I'll do it. Yeah. And there's a pause among the soldiers for a second, but then they're all right. Well, that's that's fine. And then Mac does everything that he's supposed to do. And uh, we get a great scene again later on after Mac has done everything. We don't see him do any of that, but uh, the topography of this jungle is pretty amazing. The lighting changes in different places in the jungle. Like yeah. wherever Arnold Schwarzenegger's character is sitting in this next scene, it's kind of dark because the canopy is so dense. The canopy of the yeah. dense. Um, but you can see that the sun's still up in other places in this in the scene where there, there are areas where it's bright. But it almost looks like night where 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 Dutch and Mac are. And Dutch says Blaine was a good soldier, and and Mac uh, Mac says uh, he was my friend. And there's kind of a close up on Mac. Like did I did I tell the major too much? Did I did I yeah. That I do too much, but again, Dutch is a really good leader. He doesn't say anything. He lets Mac have that moment. He doesn't 
reprimand him. He doesn't try to add to it, right? Yeah, yeah. And shortly thereafter, though, they find out that that uh, they're still too hot for a pickup from the helicopter. And this yeah. comes back to uh, they have a, a they rebrief, I guess. Mac, like, what hit us today, Sergeant? And Mac says, I don't know, man. Um, I only saw one of them camouflage. He recaps what he did. I emptied my gun into it. I emptied Blaine's, Blaine's gun into it. Nothing on this earth could have survived, right? And there was no blood. There was yeah, yeah. Um, because Chavez said earlier we hit nothing. Right. They didn't know what they were looking for. But anyway, yeah. um, then uh, again, Dutch. I really like Dutch as a as a. Yeah. Oh, so so <laughs> Mac gives his is 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 after action report and then kind of tacks on. He's like, I don't know those eyes. They just disappeared. And Dutch is like, I'm sorry, what? <laughs> <laughs> And, and it's like, and again, this is that self-conscious Mac moment. It's kind of funny where Mac was like, uh, uh, he kind of looks out of the corner of his eyes and he's like, I, I saw those eyes and they just disappeared. And he looks at Dutch like, I'm going to get it. Maybe <laughs> right. is going to give me some shit, but Dutch doesn't say anything. Yeah. Uh, nothing, nothing critically says, you take the first watch, Mac, and then I want you to get some rest. Yeah. This is a good commander. I really yeah, like yeah. Dutch as a commander. Dylan still isn't on board. He asks, he, he tells Chavez to ask Anna what she saw again. Chavez this is also kind of this is this is again this great acting that didn't need to be in this movie Dylan says ask her what happened ask her again what happened Chavez looks at Dutch first before obeying Dylan mm. and D and Dutch says go ahead ask her he asked her the jungle that came alive um, and then that's when we cut to Billy because Chavez says you know something Billy at this point Billy seems resigned that they're all going to die yes he he doesn't know what they're up against but he knows it he knows it's out there he's assessed all the information and, uh, and isn't this the moment where he says Billy you know something what is it I'm scared Pancho. bullshit you ain't afraid of no man there's something out there waiting for us and it ain't no man And, and and this is where you know, uh, um, in terms of what you're talking about about this second act being about horror, mm -hmm. is that we've seen these these this group of com of commandos um, overcome almost every obstacle. They're they're all very good at what they do. And now suddenly, even though they're beginning to assess the information correctly, and they outnumber. I mean, we know, and I think we could probably even say they know. Like they know there's something out there, yeah. but they outnumber what's out there. But they don't have enough information yet. And and Billy knows that at least yeah. and billy is now afraid like he he knows that you know we're not going to survive this we have we have too far to go we have to, we're working at too much of a disadvantage our, our situation appears hopeless i think billy's the only one that thinks that at this point though dylan says oh he's losing his cool man is losing his cool and whatever whatever dutch dutch trusts his people dutch trusts what billy just said implicitly and explicitly. Yeah. um yeah. he he basically says you don't get it you know yeah. uh and uh so they've mined the tripwire they've mined the whole area around them they've got tripwires everywhere claymores everywhere and uh as max says nothing's going to get in here tonight and right. we get another great acting scene that did not need to be in this fucking movie when it's it's the mac uh soliloquy in the night yes yes he's on first watch it's nighttime now and he's talking to blaine blaine's dad right. um would have been interesting if 
we've got like Ghost Lane. Um, but uh, I'm writing a different movie in my head now that I've had like three whiskeys here. Um, Shakespeare might have done that, but exactly. <laughs> murder, murder, most foul. Um, so says Blaine. My wounds cauterized and fused they were. Predator stroke mighty. Anyway, there's this great moment where where Mac talks to Blaine about all the stuff they've been through, and, and it's a great moment where we get like little in words between those two. He calls. He says, "You remember back in Vietnam, uh, number ten? He says we had a number ten kind of night. Whole platoon uh, chopped, uh, thirty-two men chopped into meat. We walk out, just you and me, bro. Not a scratch, not a fucking scratch. And and I'm getting chills just thinking about Mac saying these things. He's like, you know, whoever did this is gonna come back, and when he does, I'm gonna cut your name in him. This is a friendship that is profound and is not necessary to the plot at all. It's not, and it's just a nice character moment. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, he he he. he gives that little soliloquy to uh, to Mac and then a twig snaps. I know this because it said so on the subtitles. And uh, everybody behaves like the perfect soldier they are. Mac turns around, Billy wakes up and then all hell breaks loose. And Mac has a giant fight that we only see in shadow. Yeah. And everybody in the camp is in an uproar. They don't know what's going on. Mac, Mac, uh, they're all screaming. And Mac is having a fight. There's, a, there's something screeching. It's all pretty horrific. And we see Mac is stabbing something viciously and blood is flying arcing through the dark night uh, you know moonlit night and they all finally get to Mac and uh, and they shine the light down on Mac and his victim who he is decimated and uh, Mac is panting on the, in, in this little cul-de-sac that he's in he's like I got you motherfucker I got you motherfucker and I want Mac in that moment I want Mac to be right yeah and uh, he's not but, <laughs> but then Chavez flashes a flashlight down and says oh you killed a pig and, <laughs> right. uh, and then they have a little moment of levity like soldiers would have you know some yeah. Mac is like oh fuck you man and uh, Bill he laughs that 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 characteristic laugh of his that will come up later. Dylan is laughing. He's standing next to to Dutch, and it's almost like old times. And then Dutch is like, "Where's Anna?" Mm-hmm. And uh, Dylan's like, "Oh shit!" Again, that 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 operational security. He's just not back yet. He's not gone, is she? Though no, she's 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 shaking with fear. Yeah, yeah. And then we. Well, get- I mean, yeah. I mean, I mean, that's the point that I had made is that is that she's not. You know, they think that she's still the person that she was when they when they captured her. But she more than any of them, even at this point except for maybe Billy yeah. really knows what they're up against she's not going anywhere no no she her 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 new uh, favorite location is with these guys yeah yeah and then Billy says major you better come have a look at this and they come over and Blaine's gone yeah. and then we get like the kind of the uh, the next morning uh, where they find out that the pig was the only thing that could have could have uh, could have set off the trip players because there ain't no other track as, right. as Billy says and uh, and again this is some of that that great filmmaking where where they'll focus on somebody in the foreground I, I can't remember who it is somebody says something in the foreground and the camera's focused on this character then then Dutch moves into the frame and the camera focuses on him and he's like it's killing us one at a time and then blurred in the background uh Billy says like a hunter and but I mean it, it's it's I I just think every one of these scenes that, that that would that could devolve into boring exposition is made interesting by the way John McTiernan had to solve the riddles of this geography yeah. how do you make this interesting and I mean McTiernan succeeds brilliantly in this scene and so so they they realize that they're being hunted. Uh, this is the moment where Dutch realizes that, okay, all of our tripwires are on the ground. This thing that's hunting us is moving through the trees. Right. And uh, and that's when he decides that he's had enough of Anna's bullshit, which again kind of goes back to that. Like he knows, he knew from the, the moment he hit her with that stock of his M16 that she could speak English. Yeah, because uh, when she finally does, he does not bat an eye. Okay. He's not like, oh, you can speak English. He Well, because he, 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 he runs up to her and says, what is, what's going on? You know what's going on. You know something that's going on. Dylan is like, 
this is bullshit. You know, she's not, you know, he thinks it's stupid that Dutch is speaking to her in English. And then Anna says, uh, then she just starts speaking English. And I don't know yeah. what it is. I know what, I, I don't know what it is exactly, but I know what the old, she basically says, I know, I know sort of what's going on because she's seen what's happening. So I, I want to ask you a question. And so we're going to jump ahead a little bit, just, just a tad, because I mean, this is the moment where we now transition to the sci-fi part of it yes. when they decide that, you know, we're going to fucking kill it, you know, and this kind of thing. She, she finally does give a story that she's not unfamiliar with this creature. No, no, no. Before that, she says something about like, uh, she tells him what's going on. She says, I don't know what it is, but you know, I've seen this war. And, uh, and, and Dutch says, look, you're with us or you're not. And he says, this thing is hunting all of us. He cuts her bond free. This is hunting us, all of us. And, uh, and, uh, Dylan is horrified that he's just freed his prisoner. Right. But, uh, and anyway, Dutch just walks off because she's on the team now. Yeah. And, uh, and that's when as he's walking off, uh, she says, when the big man was hit, you must have wounded it because its blood was on the leaves. Yeah, she finally tells them that because we we knew that. Yes. We knew that. We saw the, the glowing blood on the leaf even back then. There is a scene where the predator has to um, kind of repair himself. Yeah. He, he does some first aid on itself and it, and it cries out. And that is another moment of great acting from everybody, but specifically from uh, Elpidia Carrillo. Because she's like, that's not, a, that's, not a, that's not an animal that makes, that's not an animal from this world. Right, right. The other person in that scene who knows it's not an animal from this world is Billy. He's also in that scene. Yeah. And uh, she looks horrified and he's, you already, you said it. He's like, we're, we're all going to die. Yeah. Um, Billy isn't the most hopeful cat in this film. <laughs> Well, I mean, I mean, he he's been at this for a long time, and yeah. he it's very rare that he's in a situation where he feels like that he's kind of up against the eight ball. But there is something else. When the big man was killed, you must have wanted it. Its blood was on the leaves. If it bleeds, we can kill it. There's that a, line, that line mm -hmm. is the beginning of the third act. It is because because they go on the they go on the offensive from that. Yes, and yeah. they they almost do it. They almost get it. Yeah, they come up with a plan of setting Stone Age traps for the yeah. predator. They're gonna lure it in. They're gonna set their their trip wires, their their modern military gear, which they're pretty sure it can see because it because it navigated all the traps earlier. Right. Instead, they did was they built traps made out of the jungle, which is clever. And they don't know if it's gonna work. Dylan thinks it's all stupid as, as hell. You think all this Boy Scout bullshit's gonna do anything? A Dutch says, you know, uh, it's to see our tripwires. Maybe I can't see this. Instead of complaining, Dylan, maybe you could get out the, your posing oil and help us. So then Dylan chastised, gets out his bodybuilding posing oil, removes his shirt, and helps out building the traps. Because this scene, everybody, is the moment where <laughs> I've killed Jason again with, he's laughing. Jason has a silent laugh that you can't really hear. This is the second time my <laughs> posing oil line is killed in my life about this film but uh, everybody this scene is about how physically amazing all of these characters are there is not a, <laughs> there is not a hidden ab in this scene everybody has abs everybody's everybody is defined nobody for some reason in the in this military organization is wearing a shirt or if they are it's only covering their least amazing physical attributes <laughs> They build these traps uh, and then they settle in and wait. Something that I think that is highlighted uh, by this scene is the code that the predator operates under. Yes. Because which, which Dutch realized. Yes. This is a sport to the predator and the predator kills one of them and then it goes away and lets them regroup. Right. It could have observed all of this, but it left yeah. and let them. So it's shown them some of its hand. Look what I can do. What can you guys do to, to, to counter that? Yeah. Let's yeah. see who's better here. Now that's a, 
that's kind of an honorable code. I think the Predator errs a little bit in its morality when it should offer some kind of, hey guys, would you like to participate in a game I like to play? Instead of just forcing people to play this game, I think the Predator, has, I think this 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 race of beings has some stuff they need to work out. But anyway, um, it lets it lets its prey try to prepare. Right. The team is like a just kind of nothing happens. But during the scene before this, we get another great scene where that would probably be in a lot of movies like this, but it's really well done. Uh, where uh, Anna gives her backstory and she kind of she kind of describes why she knows a little bit about what's going on. Yeah. Um. Um. She talks. She, she talks about how um this is not her first experience with this kind of mythic creature. Yes. Now, I so I want to ask you because this is actually the only unanswered question that I that I actually kind of pondered each time I watched the film. Are we to assume that the opening scene with the spaceship that delivered the predator was that in modern times or has this specific predator been in this Central American country for decades? Now, I I suspect and this is based on you can't tell from this movie. You don't know. Right. Um from other films, Predator 2, for instance, and some uh expanded universe stuff. I think we're to assume that these creatures come from wherever they come from during peak times yeah. uh, to hunt and then they leave. That's what okay. I think. That certainly is what the kind of idea that you get after watching Predator 2, which I recommend people watch, but it's not as good as Predator 1, but it's it's worth watching. Danny Glover's pretty good in it, but you can't tell from this movie what's happening. If, if this is the only one you see, maybe this, this Predator's been kicking around the jungle since whenever it landed, but okay. but I think it's Safari. I think it's a Safari. When, okay. when For instance, when you go fishing in the Bahamas, you don't stay there all the time. You right. go and you leave. Back. Yeah. Um, so, uh, but anyway, she, she, she gives, uh, again, inventive camera work. She tells a story. We can tell it's Arnold in the background by the shape of his head, but he's he's in the background as she tells the story. Yeah. And blurred. The focus is on Anna as she tells the story of like finding men with sometimes without their skins, sometimes much, much worse. She says, you know, uh, this phrase that she's been repeating in Spanish a few times, it means the demon who makes trophies of men. Right. And she says that and the camera changes focus. It's a, I just, it's a brilliant scene. Uh, as she's finishing on that, Arnold is looking at her and the focus changes from her she blurs and the focus is on the longer shot with Arnold but him reacting to it this is great acting he in this scene Arnold Schwarzenegger is reacting brilliantly to uh, Elpidio Carrillo John McTiernan said I tried to tell her a couple times what to do with the character but early on I realized she understood Anna better than I did so I just let her do whatever (laughs) Okay. He, he just thought her instincts for Anna were brilliant and so he just stopped like directing her. Um, okay. Something happens, there's a little snap, no, nothing lands in any of their traps and then Dylan says, what are you gonna, what next? You gonna try cheese? <laughs> and Arnold gives him kind of a withering look but then he, but then he kind of, you get the sense that oh, yeah, let's try that. <laughs> and he gets right. up and walks out into the middle of the trap. Interestingly though, Dylan tries to stop him because it was just a joke. He was just giving, yeah. Arnold, he was giving Dutch a hard time and he's like no, 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 don't. Dutch, Dutch. And then this is where Dylan converts to their perspective. This next scene, yeah. the trap goes off right behind Arnold. The predator gets yoinked up into the sky by their their uh, their nets. Go if ahead. only they'd o- if only they'd opened up right then, right? Yes. Yeah. And uh, but they're all shocked that it worked. I think. Yeah. But also too, the predator reacts right away. It starts shooting its gun, and this causes problems because it causes uh, a major injury of one of the the crew. The predator sh- blows its way out of the the net. What it shot as loose. A 
giant log swinging on vines and it hits Chavez, sends him flying. But Dylan sees the cloaked predator and it even uncloaks for a second and he sees the whole thing. Yeah. And then in one of the only moments of uh, incompetence, Mac loses his, his soldier's discipline and chases the creature who's retreating. The creature, the predator is like, okay, they, they, they know something I don't. I need to back off. Yeah. Mac runs off, shoots at the predator, but he, he he's gone. He's running. Dutch is like, what the fuck happened to my Mac? Yeah. And uh, he's getting ready to go chase Mac, but then Dylan Dylan steps up. Why does Dylan step up in this scene? Well, I mean, I, I think that you just kind of nailed it, that that at this point, he realizes what's going on. I mean, what he says to Dutch is he says, you know, maybe you've, you know, you've rubbed off on me. Because he's going um, to go chase Mac. Because at first, Dutch is going to go chase Mac. But then Dylan says, no, I'll get him. You get your men out of here. I, I think there's probably several things going on. His old loyalty to Dutch. And then just the fact that he's kind of, his experience in the jungle has kind of reconnected him to the original experience that he had with Dutch when they were soldiers. Yep. Seeing what they're up against, Dylan is finally able to take the mission and wipe that wipe that away and go back to survival and worrying about the guy in the trench next to you. Yes, and yeah. I also get the sense that while there was some friction between he and Mac when it started, I, I mean, I think Dylan recognizes some of Mac, some of himself in Mac. Oh, and Mac saved him from the scorpion. It's true, it's true. But Dutch doesn't have any hope for this endeavor at all. No. He looks really sad. Arnold Schwarzenegger looks really sad when Dylan is about to run off into the jungle and he says, you can't win this. And that's when Dutch says the line you said earlier. Yeah. Well, I, I mean, it, it, it's, we the viewer get the sense that, okay, it may be a losing battle, but, you know, Mac and Dylan absolutely do have a, a score to settle. They're major characters. Maybe they'll get it done. Maybe, maybe this film's going to set up a situation where the two of them who were in conflict up to this point suddenly pool their resources and, 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 um, at least deliver an important blow against the creature. Yes. You, you, you think that might happen. Um, yeah. Dylan says, get your people to the chopper. Uh, Dutch tosses him another H and K, uh, MP5, uh, which is sort of, sort of standard operating, uh, hardware for special operations, uh, soldiers. And Dylan, Dylan says, you just hold that chopper for him. And then he yeah. runs off into the, into but the he expects, so he expects to come back. I mean, he thinks he might come back. Yeah. Um, and, uh, I mean, he's going to go help out, a at a, at a, at a really capable soldier, but Mac is not a capable soldier anymore. Not really. When we, when we see him after this scene, he's quoting little Richard, long, tall, shallow. She's built sweet. She got everything just like the Chinese, but he's lost it. He's, yeah. he's, he's on, uh, he's, he's, on, he's for revenge and he's not thinking as effectively. He, but again, he's a competent soldier and he almost, he and Dylan almost have a good plan. Well, I mean, they end up for the first time in the movie, the two of them are the first members of the team that actually kind of get the drop on the predator. Yes. Like right there. I see. You yes. know, I wondered why, why did they just open up on him right there? That's what I would have done. That's what I would <laughs> Um, But they just see the, the, the shimmery creature in the back, uh, you know, being camouflaged. But I think I would have, I would have taken some shots at it with that M60 that, that, that Matt carries. Um, yeah. But they wanted to get closer and um, Dylan thinks he has a good way to, Dylan wanted to, what it sounds like is Dylan wanted to try and flush the creature into the heavy fire of Max M60. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That plan goes awry. So Mac uh, does what Dylan says. He likes Dylan's plan. He gets killed really brutally. Oh, yeah. Uh, and uh, I'll, I'll save that for the audience. You guys, you guys haven't seen it. I mean, who, who, who among you hasn't seen it? But 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 then we get the scent that we get that some of the some of the ways the predator tricks its prey mm. because it starts imitating Mac. Yeah. And uh, and it says over here anytime. Yeah. It starts it starts saying stuff that it's heard Mac say. And uh, and this sets Dylan on edge because as he's hearing Mac, he's seeing Mac 
Max body twitch. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and so he knows he's in trouble. He spots the predator too late. Yeah. The predator gets one of its shots off. Blows his arm off. Blows his arm off. Uh, Carl Weathers, his Dylan, mourns the loss of that arm for just a moment before uh, <laughs> before regrouping. I mean, you got to say Dylan does get his feet under him as well as can be expected. He yeah. tries to get he tries to get his other gun to bear with his uh, his offhand before the predator gets to him and it just doesn't work out. Um, cut back to uh, this is all happening simultaneously to Dutch, Billy, and Anna trying to pick up the pieces of the disaster that just happened. Right? Yeah. Um, Chavez is fucked up. Yeah, but but they're bringing him along. They're bringing him along. Billy says it. He's like, you know, Chavez is pretty bad, and Chavez, I can make it. And Dutch just realizes we can't do operational security. We can't hide our presence. Just get the radio and come on. Just leave leave everything else. We gotta yeah. go. Gotta and, get to the chopper. Get to the chopper. The predator's on him quick. The predator. I I, I don't know. He doesn't really say this, but I think the predator might be a little mad at how close it came because it's not giving them any time to regroup. Yeah. Kills kills uh Mac and Dylan. Um, I was sad to see Dylan go. Yeah. Starts chasing him. Billy says fuck it at some point. Billy loses it too. Oh yeah, on the on the uh, on the King Kong log. On the King Kong log. On the King Kong log. So there's this giant log across the river. Arnold Dutch is just carrying Chavez. I mean, Chavez is not really under his own power. He's carrying one of the MP5s, but he can't move. Anna's not carrying any of the armament because Dutch thinks that if anybody carries that the reason why she's been spared so far is because she's not carrying a gun. Uh, he figures he, he figures that out. And you know, I um the first couple times I watched it, I wondered if that was not a, a cheat. Yeah. But now I I it works in the flow of the film. And that, it, that he, yeah. The creature has plenty of opportunities to kill Anna. Yeah. You know, uh well the creature <laughs> could have killed all of them at any time. And I think that it is quite reasonable to assume that a, a soldier like Dutch with his experience would be able to kind of at this point now that he knows what's going on figure out that you know this creature is not is not just um murdering us yeah uh and you quoted earlier that you know that it was like a hunter yeah and uh it's it's just a sport this is a sport this is the most dangerous game yes Um, a lot like that yeah but anyway uh billy just says i'm gonna try and make my stand here i'm gonna go out i'm gonna die i'm gonna go out on my term is what billy i think it was what billy says so he throws his gun in the water on the log he throws his equipment he throws his jacket off and he just he, he takes off his totem and wraps the leather thong around his hand so he'll have it in his hand when he dies I think and then he takes out his big knife and he's just gonna wait for the predator Dutch wastes only one Billy on him here <laughs> yeah. uh, so I'm what I mean by that audience is that Dutch calls him once and then he's like I, I don't have time for this Billy's made his decision I gotta go yeah. and uh, he look Dutch looks sad about this but he's not he knows that's a lost cause Billy's not coming Billy's yeah. Billy's made his decision and that's that and uh, and then he's, they just start moving we don't see what happens to billy exactly we only see the aftermath later on but we just hear billy scream billy did not do well billy didn't expect to do well yeah, he knew what was going to happen but he already knew that long ago yeah he knew it before any of them they turn around and it's not very much longer after that that the predator is on all of them again and uh chavez gets killed uh he gets shot in the head by the predator's gun anna picks up his mp5 and yeah. dutch is like no she gets a bunch of shots off but dutch kicks the gun out of her hand and he shoots at the predator the predator shoots his gun and what almost happened to i mean he almost had what happened to dylan happen to him right. but he just gets knocked back his gun explodes and it says, uh, the, it says the great line go ahead you take it away uh, oh 
get to the chopper! And he runs off in a different direction. And the Predator tracks him and not her. And yeah. uh, and this begins the last act of the film, yeah. which is, uh, I thought throughout the the the, 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 the the last act, I was thinking of the naked prey and I was thinking of the most dangerous game. The most dangerous game is, was a short story that became a movie about a person who hunted humans because they were the most dangerous prey, right? Yes. And, uh, and that's sort of what this movie is. It's the most dangerous prey or naked prey, which is another movie. Jason, you, you're much more familiar with the naked prey than I am. Yeah, I, um, um, the naked prey is a movie from the 60s uh, with Colonel Wilde, uh, uh, who plays an individual who is part of a safari and he's captured and stripped naked and given a running head start and then he, the whole film with minimal dialogue is about him being hunted. This film, from this part pretty much to the end is, is a lot like that because Arnold is, uh, well Dutch, is all that is left. He's on his own. He, he falls into a river and, and he's now wounded. Yes. Be, be, because the creature shot him in the shoulder uh, and I think pretty badly. I mean, he's he's pretty burned and scarred. But from here on out, it's it's predator and prey and it's Dutch trying to figure out how to how to how to flip the script so to speak make himself the predator well it's interesting because this is the moment where Dutch gets the intelligence that he and his team lack that had they had it earlier they might have had a better chance against the predator so Dutch almost escapes he goes over a series of waterfalls he's injured he's gotten away from the predator and he pulled he, he, he's in this beautiful tropical water in this river and he swims to a mud bank and kind of relaxes behind him the predator crashes into the water where he just was and he scrambles he's covered in mud and he has nowhere to go he reaches for his sidearm but that's gone everything that he has really is gone and he's just waiting to die the predator emerges from the water and its camouflage system is failing and but, but but also um uh in his panic crawling to a place to hide he has inadvertently covered himself in this uh mud clay yes yeah and uh and this is a great scene that, that arnold has to act in um and this is the first real scene where we get to see Kevin Peter Hall be the predator as well. Yeah. Um, I want to pause here and discuss the creature. Yeah. Up to this point, uh, so a couple things have happened. Everybody's been acting with the creature, uh, but it's just been a guy in a big red, uh, ugly red suit. They yeah. used red because it didn't clash. It, it was the thing that stood out most from the green of the jungle. Right. And uh, so th to shoot the camouflage, what they did was they did two takes, right? So okay. they'd have the guy in the red suit be in the take with the actors. Then they would shoot a take without the guy in the red suit. Okay. Um, and without anybody. They would just do a pass of the scene without the guy and without the actors. And uh, then the effects would overlay these two strips of film, I guess, and they would cut out the guy in the red suit. So there would be this hole in the screen where the, the hole in the, fr in the, in the, in the, in the cell where the actor used to be. And so then the jungle would come through in the, uh, in the final cut when they composited this two scenes, right? Yeah. yeah. And so, so anyway, that, that I thought was really neat. But the problem happened when they got the creature suit in Mexico, mm -hmm. Puerto Vallarta. Um, the original design wasn't what we got. Right. The original design was this uh, creature with kind of a dog face and it was more insect-like. Almost, actually, I take that back. It was a little bit much more like alien. Okay. But it looked terrible. And John McTiernan saw the the, the suit. He was like, oh, Jesus Christ, this, this film's going to be terrible. And... <laughs> 
<laughs> he called the studio and said, look at this suit. We can't do this movie with this suit. The studio said, holy shit, that sucks. Why did we do this? There was a pause in filming. They got a break. Yeah. And so they said, we need to rescue this suit. And they went to Stan Winston. Mm. And Stan, Win Stan Winston rescued this movie by coming up with a better design. Okay. And uh, and also the other thing too was they, after doing that, after taking a break, John McTiernan had a lot of time to look at the dailies and start cutting the film together, right? Right. And everybody said, this is actually a really good movie. They changed the, the this this final, the close of this act, the fight between the Predator and Arnold. They, they changed it a lot in the script to add more elements to it. They were just like, they were, they didn't realize they had gold, right? Anyway, last, last little bit of trivia. Stan Winston and James Cameron are flying to Japan for some kind of conference. James Cameron leans over and sees all these designs uh, on, on on Winston's sketchbook, and Win and Winston says to him, uh, "Stan Winston, by the way, everybody is a is a is one of the more important Hollywood special effects guys. His hand is all over uh, Hollywood, even into the Marvel universe, the MCU." Uh, oh. But uh, Stan tells James Cameron uh, what he's working on, and James Cameron says to Stan Winston, "You know what I've always wanted to see is mandibles." And James uh, and Stan Winston says, "Oh, that's interesting." So, and then wrote in his notes, "Add mandibles." <laughs> and so that's how the Predator sort of is born. Stan Winston had Kevin Peter Hall in mind because I think they had worked together on Harry and the Henderson, Harry and the Hendersons, which was a ah. big movie. Uh, and Kevin Peter Hall had done the costume work in Harry and the Hendersons and was a really great physical actor and was a great physical actor and so they knew that this was the guy we needed in the suit because he was seven foot two. Oh and, my god and made Arnold look small yeah and so you needed that to make Arnold look at, at a disadvantage right so I just want to point out that again this is in some ways very reminiscent of Jaws this movie yeah the effect didn't work and they had to figure out a way to, to make a film around this creature until they could get that effect to work yeah yeah absolutely anyway, I, I think this film is great and again I'm bleeding into the verdict a little bit, um, but uh, because it had to, to solve a lot of riddles, and it, and it had capable people willing to solve those riddles. Uh, so what happens next is um, the, the, well, I mean, actually, there, there's a great moment that we've already alluded to where um, Dutch is covered with uh, clay, mud, and uh, the creature, the, the predator has him dead to rights. In fact, looks right at him. Yes. And does not see him. And then we, we kind of have a dissolve, and, and then right before the, the dissolve uh, finishes, Dutch says, he, he couldn't see me. Yes. And he realized is that the mud uh, cloaks him from the creature's um, kind of heat sensory vision. That gets him on a, a, a plan. Kind of the same plan that, that the team already had. Well, the, 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 yeah. the experiments of the, the trap, all those traps work. Yes. Dutch learned a lot from that experiment of the natural trap. Can't see my, right. can't see the, can't see our kind of Stone Age Boy Scout bullshit, right? Right. And uh, and now he has the, the other element. I can make him not see me. Right. You get a nice montage of Dutch building his Stone Age counterattack to the Predator. Right, um, right. At the same time, we're getting some gruesome trophy preparation by the Predator. Yeah. Oh, uh, which um, um, when I first when I first watched it, I actually thought that we were seeing the death of Anna. Yes. But it's at, but it's actually the death of Billy and the the removal of Billy's skull and and spine. <laughs> yeah. Yes, it's pretty grisly. It's yeah, incredibly grisly. So we see trophy preparation and and, and interspersed with the trophy preparation, we see. 
uh, Dutch preparing, laying the groundwork for his counterattack. Now, Dutch could walk out of the jungle easily right now. Right. He could leave. But I think it's interesting that he elects to stay and, and have a fight with this monster. The, the close of the movie is, you know, you can, you, you guys should see it. Uh, it's it's very cat and mouse. Uh, we see that Dutch has laid a lot of great traps. When he's ready, though, one of my favorite scenes in the film where, where he's laid all of his traps, he's caked in mud, which I also learned, too, was horrible for Arnold because, uh, like a lot of jungles, uh, it's very cold in, at, at night in the jungle. So he had, he was caked in this mud and he was freezing every night that they shot. But, uh, but when he's ready, he lights this giant torch and he does a battle cry for the predator, right? like oh okay I guess we're gonna finish this and then they have the final fight and I don't know that we need to say much about the final fight is there anything you want to highlight from that it's they both get the upper hand on each other a few times yes almost beats the creature a few times he loses his camouflage in the course of the fight and uh and he probably thinks oh so, so that happens he loses the camouflage the predator catches him and it should be over game over but the predator does have its code right, right? and he takes off all of his weapons he takes off his mask and they're gonna have a hand-to-hand fight this is not likely to end any other way than the Predator winning, but the Predator does seem to be trying to make the fight as even as it can. Well, um, it's interesting because actually I think that I read that a little, a little differently. I, I, I don't disagree with what you're saying. Mm-hmm. He has Dutch up against a tree or something, and we see Dutch through his through his vision. Yeah. And the way that I read it was because actually um, in watching the scene, I actually tried to tried to process Dutch's existence the way that the Predator would see him. Oh, okay. And I really felt like, you know, uh, when they showed the close-up of him looking and, and he sees, you know, Dutch's brain and and and, and all of the, the heat that's going on in his body. And I, what I thought that the Predator was thinking when he was looking at Dutch was, this one's special. This one's, okay. this one's given, this one's given me uh, uh, quite a go. I like that. I like yeah. that. And uh, now, he doesn't understand what Dutch says. You know, he, he doesn't understand anything about Dutch. All he knows is that Dutch has been very clever and has made him work for it. Has injured and him? Has injured himself? Has, has, has injured him and outthought him. You know, they did injure him with their machine guns. Yeah. But but he also kind of knew, well, you know, they were just they were just lashing out. Yes. This time, Dutch had a plan and actually kind of had him, you know, kind of made him have to work for it. Well, you know, I mean, it, there are a couple times, you know, uh, where if Fortune had smiled a little more kindly on Dutch and he won the fight a few times like things just didn't quite land perfectly for Dutch when he looks at Dutch and and, and you know what I what I perceived was you know and, and you see the movies or you know you hear the fish stories of you know uh, the fish in the lake it's kind of the, you know such a legendary fish that he's got a name and and somebody says that they caught you know they catch him and but they just can't stand to like you know because because he was always such a difficult fish to catch yes. you, you just can't stand to bring it in so you're throwing back yeah Yes. And uh, um, and that's now he's not he's not gonna let him go. He's not gonna throw him back. But but he cannot 
not just kill him simply. No, no. Um, he's got to give him something. Exactly. He's got, you're right. He's, he's, I think you're absolutely right. I think the predator is stretching this moment out. Yeah. This is the hunt that he's always going to remember because he could just blast Dutch right with that gun. Oh, it, it's over. It's, it's over. over. Yeah. And uh, I mean, Dutch, this is the first movie, maybe the only movie where I can remember Arnold. Well, I take that back. There's another movie. Arnold takes the worst beating in this film than he has in any other film that I can think of, except for maybe Terminator 2. Yeah. You know? Oh, yeah. Um, no. But Dutch loses this fist fight really badly. Yeah, yes. And uh, and so the Predator's chasing him and we're seeing the, the Dutch through the Predator's vision. And Dutch almost sounds like a child, a human child, to our ears. Yeah. Um, almost like a human child running from the Predator, right? And Dutch is beaten and he has one last trick to play as he's crawling along the jungle. The Predator's approaching him very slowly, very horror science fi- sci-fi here, right? He's like, ah, oh, this yeah. is, the Predator is really happy. It's, this has been a great hunt. I, I think you're absolutely right. I like that interpretation. And uh, Dutch is going to lead the Predator to his master trap, which is representative Stone Age trap uh, that's going to trigger a snare line to yank the, the victim up into a bed of spikes, right? Yeah. The, the line is hooked to a uh, giant tree that only Arnold Schwarzenegger could lift without even any pulleys. I mean, Arnold's a beast in this movie. So he's going to lead the Predator to follow him. And another great acting scene, which which is necessary for this film, the final moment where Dutch is going to be the bait. He, he gets through the trap without setting it off. He turns around and faces the Predator. Another iconic scene. Come on, kill me. I'm here. Do it. Do it now. And the Predator is about to, the Predator is about to do it, but it's Antinier also up now. This is a great, this is my great challenge. This is, he wouldn't stop running from me. Why is he stopping? Right. And that gives the Predator pause. He notices some things about the, the area and he realizes that he's being led into a trap and he says, well, the Predator goes around the trap, hops down and the look of resignation on Dutch's face is pretty, pretty profound. And he's like, well, I did all I could. But then he notices the tree hanging above, above them both. And he, he has a moment of inspiration. He's going to try one last thing. He's going to trigger the trap and drop the tree. And uh, he drops it and crushes the Predator. Uh, <laughs> I mean, well, it, it, it leaves very little doubt in our minds that Predator has been dispatched. Yes, it's one. And and Dutch does what any of us would do in that moment. He just kind of starts to go to sleep. Yeah. As he's resting in the background, the, the, the tree starts to move a little bit. Yeah. And uh, Dutch notices it. He picks up a rock. Stan it walks over to the Predator and is about to bash in its head. And this is a moment, and I want to know, I want to get your perspective on this, Jason, where his character is consistent. I'm yeah. not an assassin. Yeah. There's the, the Predator is crushed underneath this tree. It's obviously dying. It's in, it's hemorrhaging internally. It's spitting up its glowing blood, which was a mixture audience, I learned uh, for you guys, of KY jelly and the oh. the fluid from glow sticks. Oh, well, that makes sense. Yeah. So it just goes to show, like, if you're kind of imaginative, you can come up with some interesting things with just cheap, cheap items. Arnold Schwarzenegger picks up a rock and he's like, I'm going to finish this off. And he's getting ready to kill the, the predator, but he realizes it's helpless. The fight is over. There's no reason to have a fight anymore. Yeah. And, and it kind of is consistent with, with that earlier line from the film, I'm not an assassin. Do you yes. agree? Oh, no, absolutely. Yeah. Uh, he just tosses the rock aside and he says, what the, what the hell are you? And yeah. the predator repeats the question back at him, then makes Arnold, Arnold's Dutch regret not braining that motherfucker. Yeah, because he, uh, he clearly is going to self-destruct and kill both him, himself and Dutch. Yes, at least himself. I mean, maybe he's okay with Dutch surviving, but I get the sense that within the code of the predators, they can't leave a trace of themselves because they can't let their prey know that they're a thing. Yeah, now, so uh, he then laughs maniacally. I got to give a shout out to my son because um, he watched it the first time 
time and uh, with me, and he he hated that. Like, well, why is it laughing like a human? And I and I had to kind of concede for the moment that okay, you're right. But the last time today when we watched it, he was like, oh, that's the, he copies that um, he copies that laugh later. Yes. Oh yeah, and that's what you just said. Yeah. Well, throughout the movie, we've seen that the predator is trying to imitate. He he, he does try and imitate his prey a little bit vocally. Yeah. He, he tries to lure. Uh, he tries to trick Dylan with the with the with the voice and maybe yeah. maybe it's even not even trying to trick him he's just toying with dylan at that point right. because dylan's done there's nothing dylan can do he's dead but he's kind of like a cat playing with the prey right yeah uh, but uh with dutch i don't know he's just kind of throwing something back in dutch's face or maybe maybe the predator thinks it's funny <laughs> you got me guy i don't know you know um but then we get dutch running away and he gets away um and he's rescued the only physical appearance uh so so the bomb blows up dutch tries to we see dutch dive over something and hopefully avoid the blast right yeah. the next scene is in the helicopter that's coming to pick him up yeah. looking for him and there's something going wrong with the helicopter the only scene where we actually see the actor who plays the predator is in this physically the face of the actor is in this helicopter he's the helicopter pilot oh shit Devin Peter Hall is uh, is the helicopter pilot and John McTiernan did this because he was like I gotta put this this wonderful actor in the film I want people to see who this guy was he's, he wanted to give Kevin Peter Hall who, who died a few years ago oh, I didn't know yeah um, not sure why some kind of heart failure kind of thing and uh, but uh, he wa- he definitely wanted to have Kevin have a have his face in the film not just be the guy in the costume they see kind of a mini mushroom cloud emerging from the jungle you know right. and uh, the, the general is in there Anna is in there they land on the site foliage and trees knocked over for you know hundreds of yards and uh, emerging from the uh, the smoke is Dutch he survived he, he, he won Anna's crying a little bit and Dutch doesn't say a word we never Dutch doesn't say another word for the rest of the film we just see him kind of looking off into the middle distance yeah that's the end of the movie folks yeah uh oh I mean, um but but dutch actually uh, in the helicopter he's won but he's a beaten man yes because because he's lost his whole team and 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 even though he was victorious this is not this is not where he wanted to be no no um he does look i mean credit to arnold schwarzenegger who doesn't get enough credit for what a good actor he is he sells this like yeah. that's it like we get the sense that he and that group of six guys have walked through more dangerous shit than almost any military unit, right? I mean, they're just that capable. Right. Yeah. In a single afternoon, they're all dead. Yeah. Tell me, Jason, uh, before you before you regale us with your reflections on the score, I'm just going to change your last name to Score. Jason Score is the name of the... <laughs> when Max and Jason Score watch a movie. Before we go to the score, a few years ago, I posted this question on, on Facebook. Who would win? Set the technology aside between the Space Marines of Aliens and Dutch's team from Predator. Who would win in a, a fight? Oh, I think I think Dutch's team Predator by far. Explain. You're, you're, well, you're... well, I mean, um, if you set the technology aside, I just when you look at when you look at the the team in this film, each of them are such specialists that you kind of get the sense that even if they weren't on the team, that they could go out on their own and be fine. Yes. You know, I mean, Dutch is the guy that survives because of who. He, I mean, you know, because of who they're going up against you know there's a massive challenge but most of his team if it was a a terrestrial foe any one of them would be able to outwit anybody else and and even
even though the team in Aliens, you know, they're uh, 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 an elite team, there's nothing in that film that gives me that sense. Admittedly, just because we get the sense that they're all badasses, we don't get the sense that they have a particular specific genius. And I, and I think this team, everyone has their own specialty. Well, that's true. I, I think that that's all right. The other thing that I I I came I came down on your side in this in this in this discussion. Actually, most everybody did who was familiar with it. One of my friends said overconfidence alone killed most of the Marines and aliens. Yeah. Um, Dutch's team is competent. They pay attention, right? Right. Nobody, almost nobody on in the Space Marines paid attention to a single solitary fucking word that Ripley said. Well, yeah, absolutely. The, yeah. I mean, the only, the only competent soldier, there are two competent soldiers, I think, in the Space Marines. I think that the Space Marines and aliens were just, they were used to rolling over opposition, right? Yeah, um, yeah. But, but the only people who were like, who would have fit in with Dutch's crowd is our Hicks and maybe a poem. Yeah. You know? But anyway, I just want to put that to you. Score notes. Oh. I I I might have a controversy. I, I may have something shocking and controversial to say. Oh, let's hear it. Let's hear it. So Alan Silvestri did the score for this film, which looking back is kind of a he had just done Back to the Future a couple years before. So Silvestri was not necessarily a, a nobody at this time. Kind of an odd film for him to do, though, in my mind. I think this is my favorite Alan Silvestri score. Really? Wow. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, I dug it. I, I was well, I was watching the Predator today and uh, I just thought how great the score was underneath the opening scene where the, the soldiers are, not the opening scene, but the, the soldiers' introduction as they're moving through the camp and just kind of the, the, the kind of intense pounding rhythms of the soldiers just traveling through camp. It's building tension. These guys are going to go. The, the score is like, if the song had a title, it was like, these guys are going to do something important, you know? <laughs> I, I, I would divide it into um, there's two aspects of the score. There's the there's the military aspect and the jungle aspect. Okay. And I feel like that the score for this movie is it, very memorable. It's one that when you listen to it um, as I did uh, both within the movie and outside the movie, um, you definitely are moved by it even if you're just listening to it. Mm-hmm. Um, but, but also just the way that it accentuates the drama and the suspense of the film and, and, just, and just the little cues of and how they move with the film because there's kind of this you know kind of percussion that kind of you know kind of gives you kind of a kind of a jungle feel yeah, yeah. Uh, to me and then and then there's the I don't know if it's a snare drum or whatever it is but but kind of the, the militaristic uh, part of it I really really love this score Alan Silvestri's done a lot of, of great scores you know I mean Back to the Future is one of my favorite movies and his score for that is great he won the Oscar for Forrest Gump um, uh, he he did a great job with the uh, the, the Avengers movies and recent years this guy's a great composer and he's done a lot of great stuff this score really accentuates i I mean we've talked about a lot of the uh the virtues of this movie um and and just the 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 good decisions that this movie makes in terms of in terms of cinematography in terms of character development in terms of just action scenes but the music moves with this movie very 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 well and i i really really love no i i agree i i i I have nothing to add oh well then um a full stop there is actually a moment I cannot remember the specific scene but there is a moment where there's almost like a, a kind of a patriotic horn kind of cue yes yes and we we have done Captain America the first Avenger which was also scored by Alan Silvestri, uh, Alan Silvestri. and it sounds kind of similar which is not which is not a weakness by the way I mean that's you know this is um this is a film score composer who knows how to come up with the right cue that that the 
viewer needs to enhance their experience of the film. Well, and Alan Silvestri does that for this movie. Silvestri is an interesting composer, I think, because unlike a lot of composers uh, that will stand out in audiences' mind, John Williams, Danny Elfman, uh, James Horner, uh, I don't ever, I have to look and see. Was that Silvestri? I asked myself. Mm -hmm. He doesn't have a hook that makes him immediately recognizable to my ear. Like, I can't yeah. listen to a score and say, oh, that's Silvestri. Whereas when you hear John Williams score, you're like, oh, well, that's John Williams. You know, yeah. the, the same is true of Danny Elfman. And there are a few composers yeah. like that. That's not a knock on them, but no, I, I do think that it is a benefit to Silvestri because he seems to be able to do, to not distract from a viewer. When, when I, to, to, for illustration, um, I was a little distracted at first by Williams's score on Harry Potter. Okay. Because I just recognized it, right? Yeah. I, I recognized him as Harry Potter, but I didn't feel like his his sound, his his orchestra served the film very well when I first saw it. I quite like it now, but I was like, oh, I don't know about that, you know? But I recognized it right away and it kind of like made me think about John Williams rather than the movie, right? Yeah. Uh, I never have that thought when I listen to it, when I hear an Alan Silvestri score. Yeah, yeah. Um, and I think that that's a, that's, a, that's a positive. Anything else you want to add before we hit to the verdict? No, I don't think so. I mean, I, I will add again that I, I, I really like the addition of the, uh, the, the visual credits at the end where we get oh, yes. to see, yeah. We, we've seen all these people killed horribly except for Arnold and Elpidia, but uh, we get kind of a, a nice little, these were the actors that you, you accompanied, that accompanied you through this movie. Whole again, we see them in happier moments. I agree, it's kind of a, it's kind of a great moment. And the verdict. The Predator is the apex of 1980s action filmmaking. The film, we haven't discussed this a lot, it has a lot of technical problems. Sometimes the audio-visual doesn't sync up. Uh, there's a scene that's supposed to be at night, say, right after when when Arnold calls the Predator and when the Predator's jumping through the jungle to go attack him, the, he's clearly jumping through the jungle during the daytime. There are a lot of like technical issues with the film, but that is par for the course in 1980s filmmaking. The film carries you through all of these errors by being great at everything else. There's not a bad scene in the movie, technical errors aside. Um, it's great action. Uh, it's a strangely well-made film that blends a, a few different genres. The military action film, the science fiction alien monster creature feature film I think it's just the, with the exception of oh, Terminator 2 didn't come out until 92 right when, 91 91 so I think I'm quite willing to say that this was the best of 80s action filmmaking and I mean that to say that it is an action film of the 80s of the 80s with all of the flaws of an 80s film it's fast and dirty filmmaking but it's it's just too wonderful to pass up I think it's a great film of its time and for any time but if you were ever like to ask yourself, well, what was the 80s filmmaking like? What was, the, what was the 80s action film? I would say, look at this film for what it could be when it was at its best. That's my verdict. I, I would pick up on a lot of that. I think that Predator is a great action film that does many, many different things. I would pick up the same thread as you, that this film serves as a great military action film, a great sci-fi film. It's extraordinarily well acted. We probably have not praised John McTiernan enough for a lot of the directoral decisions, the score, the, the suspense and the, the thrilling aspect of all of the action scenes, the attention paid to character that was totally unnecessary. One could have made a, a great mindless action film uh, around this plot where you just had a group of military people coming in to fight this alien from another world and there could have been plenty of machine guns and blood and people and gore and all of this kind of thing and we would not have, have even needed to touch at all on the, the, the characters and the different uh, people in the film 
film. And yet this this movie absolutely takes the time to do that and is all the better for it. If you're if you're a fan of action films, I would uh, concur with what Max said that this is an absolute necessity, not only from the 1980s, but from any era. But even if not, if you like good filmmaking, if you like to see good acting, good action scenes, good character development, not to mention a really great score, this is one to watch. This is one that you should see. Maybe, maybe you've avoided it over the years. Maybe you thought, maybe you have a, a prejudice against Arnold Schwarzenegger as an actor or, or just action films in general. But this is really one to see. This is not one to dismiss. See it, enjoy it, and that's the verdict. And uh, let us know what you think. Uh, Jason, Next, the next three of our podcasts, we will be tackling the Frankenstein, the original Frankenstein films. Frankenstein, Bride of Frankenstein, and uh, Dog of Frankenstein, right? Son of Frankenstein. Son of Frankenstein, I'm sorry. Uh, the Universal Pictures, correct? Yes. All right, guys, so uh, we'll tackle those individually. Uh, but uh, let us know what you think. Share us on social media. Share us with all your friends. Share us on the Twitters and the Facebooks. Email us if you want to. Please take advantage of this, guys, at uh, uh, LordMovies39 at gmail.com. Uh, we look forward to hearing you. Keep listening. Um, that's all I got, guys. Jason, anything you want to say? Oh, that's it. That's it from Jason. All right, night. Night. Who picked this one, by the way?